The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! I need you to open your station. I have an emergency. No, no I, look, this station Come is... On. Come on. No, boy. this is... This station is purely for... Come on, boy. <laughs> purely Come on. for Arctic adventuring and boy. research. It's not for the likes I, I of you. Uh, my, please, I have a... What is that? What animal my, is that? I have a, a horse here who That's is no. extremely thirsty. That's and I see that you have some ice, and I just really need to give it to this horse. This research station here, you, first of all, you're wandering around in the North Pole. I don't understand it. <laughs> don't ask how I got the horse here. It's unimportant. Well, actually, hey. Hey, what's that over there? D- don't, don't you dare bring him near my fruit stripe gum. Hold on. Let me... Oh. No, don't. This no. This is quite a nice can of paint you got here. Do you mind if I borrow this for a moment? Hold on. Come here, uh, Poochie. Come here. All right, I'm going to take this. Wait, you named your horse Poochie? <laughs> I'm going to take this here paint. And I'm just going to... Oh, yeah, that's much better. How's that, boy? Here, take a little lick of this. Here. Just don't yeah. feed him that. No, it's toxic. Yep, 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 yep. That's you know, with all with this white paint splattered all over him, he looks a little like a zebra. <laughs> Sir, get out of my research station. <laughs> How would you say I paint? Poorly. If you had to compare my painting to someone, what, how would you? What would you say? You paint like Formaggio. <laughs> well, hold a minute now. That's an insult, Joe. <laughs> I love that we both knew what that was, and yet 
We circled it like incompetent vultures. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. We're your co-hosts and occasional ice station researchers. Yep. It was an ice station zebra thing if you guys didn't get it. No, they got uh, it, James. I barely got it. <laughs> and I'm I'm involved in it. Alright. I've looked up Avagio. I and think it's it seems Caravaggio. It's a, t- according to some lyric bullshit website. Well, hold on now. We have the special, di- you just had the vault thing in front of you. That has all the lyrics printed. That's true. According to Google's genius.com lyrics, it's Avagio, but that I think just it seems to be a tech company. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was Caravaggio. It is Caravaggio. Caravaggio. You, yeah. Look, Google, sometimes you know things and sometimes you don't. I want you to shut up and learn. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. I'm your co-host, James Kaminsky. And this is our Jack White History Podcast, where we talk all things Jack White and uh, White Stripes and Third Man Records. And this week, James, we are back with part two of our coverage of Jack White's newest release, his most zebra-filled release to date, <laughs> I think. Boarding House Reach. Fanfare or booze not included, because there seems to be quite the split. There's a lovely meme out there of a uh, split screen of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and uh, (laughs) under Bernie is Boarding House Reach, and under Hillary is Lazaretto and Blunderbuss. (laughs) I I did see that. I also saw the the Krusty Krab Chum Bucket meme, where Krusty Krab is Boarding House Reach, and Chum Bucket is Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. So, um... (laughs) It's definitely gotten some passionate replies mm-hmm. to this album. And, Paul, this week, we actually have the album in our hands yes. physically, unlike last week. Last episode, James, as you and our listeners at home may recall, we covered the inception of the record. We covered how Jack went about writing the songs and recording the songs and picking the band. And we went over just about everything connected to this record other than the tracks themselves, Mm. which normally we at least start in one of these analysis and review episodes. But there was just so much to go over and cull through that we just didn't get to it. So we're back today Mm -hmm. with part two, Mm. where we're going to go over each track and we're going to also talk about reception to the album and a few other little tidbits here and there. We're just really excited to dive in here. Yeah, and then we're going to rate the the album with with our patented third men scale. I forgot we were doing that until you mentioned it just now. Yes, we are. And will it be controversial? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? It's already controversial. Get into our mind shaft, all right? That sounds a little dirty. Yeah. Climb into our mind shaft this week. Yeah. Find your way out. As we steal the show. Mm. Mm Hmm. Before we get to all that, James. Is there something we should start smelling, Paul? Yeah, there sure is. Is the most astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. Uh, James, would you like to tell the people what I think a smell of fact is? I would love to, Paul. I think a smell of fact is the portion of the show in which we get some facts, figures, etc. that we learn in the weeks since the last episode. And instead of doing a whole new episode about it, we ram, jam, cram it into this here episode right at the front so that, uh, you know, we can... 
tell you guys what we learned. And this week, our I Think I Smell a Fact does not come courtesy of a listener explaining to us something that we should elaborate on. It comes courtesy of all of these new interviews flying at us about Boarding House Reach. And James, last episode, it occurs to me that we had talked about just about everything to do with this album except the title, which we normally get to before the track by track. Mm. And you found this one, James. I believe you have some insight into where the title of Boarding House Reach originates from. So Jack White did an interview with Ben Blackwell for Discogs, and in such interview, he... He was reminiscing about certain items that Ben Blackwell was showing him, including a... An original four-track TIAC. That's it. That's the thing. And apparently he had been using it uh, when recording with Lily Mae Rishi in the studio. I would point out, he doesn't specify what he was recording. All he says that they were overdubbing a fiddle, Mm -hmm. which could mean it was on Boarding House Reach, although she is not listed in the credits, to my knowledge. And I, I gave a pretty extensive look-see at the credits and i don't think it was for her album it could have been for lazaretto but we know it took place recently uh, yeah so he was recording with lily may and he had reached over her to press record and he said pardon my boarding house reach and she expressed some confusion over that term oh yeah it was funny uh when we, i set up to work on this boarding house reach record uh, i had the, this equipment this this four track and the mixer in this apartment I had rented. And I was trying to be as quiet as possible so the neighbors didn't hear. So I did it all through headphones. So instead of real drums, I was using a drum machine. Instead of uh, guitar through an amp, I was doing guitar straight in. So I had to bring a compressor with me and, and use that because I couldn't use any uh, loud amplification, loud noises. And, um, but it was bizarre because, you know, after a couple times, I'd do a few takes, you know, I'd press stop and rewind. And then pretty soon I'm like, you know, pressing stop, rewind, pressing record and pl- record pause without even looking at it. I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't done that move since I was 15. And it's just that muscle memory just stays in your head without even looking. Uh, and it was very funny because uh, Lily Mae came to overdub a fiddle on this c- country song. And I had to reach across her to press record. And I said, pardon my boarding house reach. And she said, what's that? And I said what I thought it means. And she said, that's a good name. You should name your album that. So. Oh, I did. Nice. Right. Now, what he was referring to was the muscle memory attached with this machine because he had used this four-track TIAC machine that was given to him by his uh, brother Joe. Mm -hmm. And he was so accustomed to all the different gears and switches and buttons and stuff on this thing because he had used it for the ages of 14 to 16. Yeah, so boarding house reach is an actual phrase. It, the etymology of the phrase comes from lodgers at a boarding house who would be dining at the same time might have to reach past each other for dishes and condiments. So to reach a long distance across a table to get desired food. A considered poor etiquette because it invades others' personal space. That is where the album's title comes from, and it was from this wonderful Discogs sort of video interview. And as James and I were remarking before the call, Jack looks incredibly relaxed and downright happy during this thing, which is sort of unusual for an album cycle for him because as he's promoting an album, there tends to be a lot of off-the-cuff, cheeky responses, and he tends to look sort of angry and stuff at mm. times. But uh, he, he looked uh, he looked downright happy here. Yeah, he was jovial. I mean, his friends and family do that, and I think other people 
have said it in uh, forums and things, but I agree we should have more interviews with friends and family because, honestly, it, it gets us some interesting information that we had never heard before. We got some information about the Goober and the Peas stuff, his band with Dominic. Then I can't remember. I forget how he – how did he pronounce it? Yeah, so here – that that's the other interesting thing. We learned how to pronounce – Sukita properly it's pronounced at that time dominic suhita <laughs> it blew my mind because we've been saying Sukita for a long time uh, <laughs> so i guess that's a, like a miniature stop breaking down really yeah we got to learn about their band the fuck ups yeah which dominic talked about when we interviewed dominic back in mm-hmm. what was that episode 39 oh wow good memory i have no idea we talked a little bit about it when we interviewed him but it wasn't terribly much and so it was interesting getting more information on that so yeah there's a lot to glean from this thing really really cool and james i uh think uh when i reflect on that fact So, James, are you ready to get into this uh, track-by-track here on Boarding House Reach? What do you say? Uh, I'd love to, Paul. Let's do it. All right, James, well, we'll start with track one here, Connected by Love. I'm infected. I want to be protected. protected. (laughs) Woman, don't you know what I'm suffering from? My pain, make it wash out with the rain. Relieve me and put it up on your tail. Take it away and give it to somebody else. Cause I know we're connected by. So this was the first song written for the new album in the rented Nashville apartment that Jack was uh, living in and writing songs in, isolated like good old Michael Jackson. Mm. And it is the first song released publicly from the new record, and that was released back on January 10th, 2018. Oh, such a long time ago, James. A young Barack Obama was appearing (laughs) with an old David Letterman on his program. Donald Trump was still president. (laughs) And so uh, so this was our first taste of the album, and I gotta say, it's a confusing first taste, because it's a song that doesn't really have a companion piece on the record. It's a anthemy, kind of gospely sort of song, and nothing else on the album really touches it. I would say it's it's kind of the equivalent of like the 16 saltines of this album or the blue, blue orchid, orchid of this album, yeah. you know, like the opening track that is seemingly disconnected from everything else aside from the sort of the vocals by the McCrary sisters, but this is via Rolling Stone. The first song he wrote was Connected by Love, a synth-drenched plea for forgiveness by a humbled ex-lover who had burned all his bridges. Mm. White says it's fictional. That's in parentheses. The song was initially called Infected by Love, but to quote Jack, I thought people might turn that into Do You Have an STD or something? White says laughing. (laughs) I'm still learning about that song. The melody was coming straight from my gut. I just started humming notes out loud, staring out the window, he tells Rolling Stone. After that, you really can't explain it. 
You just have to get out of the way and let it happen. And you don't really notice it as it's happening. So he's staring at pigeons, humming along to some infection. (laughs) It's a weird thing. Now, the demo where it is called Infected by Love is available in the vault release. And so we have both heard that now. And Mm -hmm. I gotta say, James, I don't know how you feel about it. I kind of like the line Infected by Love a little better and it kind of rolls off the tongue in the song a little more for me personally because it comes across less as an anthem for like peace and resolution and more of like a I want love to turn me over slowly and stick a knife inside me kind of thing. It's yeah. it reads more like love interruption to me and I like that love interruption sort of aesthetic a little bit more. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, the demo is obviously unpolished. It sounds like he's humming along while he's doing the dishes. Right. And the, the synth work is to be desired, but it's, again, it's a demo. It's an interesting take on it. I agree. I think that Infected might, might have worked a little better, but I also kind of agree with his decision to change it from Infected to Connected because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's certain connotations to what kinds of infections you can get from love, but <laughs> at the same time, I mean, love in itself can be, you know, you can construe it into an infection, you know, it's something that you don't always desire and hits you without you knowing, and etc., etc. connected by love just as much i mean the lyrics are like you said anthony and the gospel choir definitely much like would you fight for my love amps that up a little bit the reason i'm responding to infected more is it's more in line with what i like about jack love songs when he starts getting more mushy i start to check out a little bit more than when he gets kind of salty with it mm. so love interruption is a great example of a song that's very sweet melodically but it's very harsh lyrically. And he has a lot of sarcasm and he has sort of a jaded quality when he's writing about love sometimes. So he writes about it in this sort of disconnected love is a chore Mm. kind of way. Whenever he's writing about romantic feelings, it's always like something that's burdening him that he has to deal with. (laughs) Not that he particularly enjoys. It's not every time, but that's when I respond to it the most because it's still a love song and he understands he has to deal with it, but he also sort of resents that he has to deal with it. Yeah, he's done work in the past, much like um, Love Interruption, where it's like love is doing something to his body that's beyond his control and he doesn't want it to be. Like, it's making him do things. Right. And it's kind of like a zombie movie. <laughs> right, 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 so, well. right. Yeah, so when I heard this song for the first time, and we talked about our first impressions of this one, actually, last episode, when I heard this one for the first time, my first thought was like he was trying to do some kind of peace anthem. It read like a Trump's America, we're all connected by love. I think my first thing I typed online in the thinky person check white group is this, is this jack's give peace a chance because not knowing about it was infected before you know not knowing any of the context it reads like a hey let's all get along kind of thing which again to me felt a little soft and i think maybe felt a little soft to some people which would explain the sort of mixed reaction to it mm. but knowing more about it it doesn't seem so much like an anthem anymore or at least in that brotherhood togetherness kind of way yeah and i think that it's <laughs> it works to its detriment at this point honestly it's one of the songs i actually do 
skip when I put on the album. Maybe because I've heard it so much, or maybe because it seems sort of tame because of that yeah piece quality to it this was a skip song for me until i saw it performed live that's a different story yeah yeah when i saw this performed live at the mayan my attitude completely changed about it and now i don't skip it actually now i kind of look forward to it because to see him perform this doing that sincere one man one spotlight (laughs) routine Mm -hmm. that he does sometimes it, it downright moved me a little bit, and I don't say that lightly, because I, I know that can come across as sort of corny and, like, we're kissing his ass, but it downright moved me to see him actually perform those lines of, what have I done, I have pushed away everyone, which is, by the way, a, a, a great little piece of songwriting, that line. But I, I really, really responded to this one live, James, and you saw him perform this at the Warsaw, right? Yeah, and uh, similar, yeah, he was, you know, by himself up there for a bit singing about it and uh yeah it was much better live i i like the song i'm being a little hard on it i can tell but uh i do like the song and yeah. live it was just as good you know the synthesizer seeing it being played is is different than hearing it being played so i don't right. know it's it's confusing this whole album is full of confusing <laughs> thoughts and conflicting <laughs> thoughts and Speaking of that, we'll get to some impressions here. Uh, Spin, reviewing this track, said, Connected by Love is a ballad with gospel backing vocals and a fat analog sound that places it in some alternate universe version of 1970. If you were to get rid of the synth and replace it with blocky piano chords, it wouldn't sound too much different from a White Stripes tune like I'm Lonely But I Ain't That Lonely Yet. But while that song achieved pathos through understatement and subtle humor, Connected by Love is earnest in sentiment and overblown in arrangement. I think, James, that kind of sums up the earnestness of it, the like, hey, let's get along. That earnest statement was the put off for me initially. I think that's what we're sort of talking here. It sounds like the spin review is not all not all that far off. Mm. Pitchfork took the pleasure of tearing this song apart upon its release. <laughs> And uh, and said, the problem with these new songs by Jack White, which will appear on his upcoming third solo album, is that they're not very good. (laughs) From from songwriting to production to lyrics, the long-standing pillars of what makes his rock and roll enjoyable to listen to are curiously absent. What is wrong with those drums, you might ask yourself, as I did when I hit play on the A-side, Connected by Love, that snare sounds terrible. Or it may be more of a lyrics thing where you're thinking, hmm, we're connected by love. What does that mean? Well, nothing. It is a pale and witless hook that couldn't dream of capturing the spirit of a rousing soul finale that White so desperately attempts. It's mawkish, heavy-handed, tone somehow inspired, and even worse music video that's like melancholia through the lens of This Is Us. I think that is wildly harsh. Yeah. And that's written by somebody who was waiting to take Jack White down a peg for whatever reason. Pitchfork has been pissy with them this whole album. Every review they've had of the singles and the album, it's just been odd. I don't know. It's unfortunate we're beholden to these so-called tastemaker websites with this kind of stuff to set the tone. It's kind of a drag. We had talked about, I miss the days where I could just make up my own mind about an album. This album was a little bit different because I knew the songs are a lot more, uh, they're complicated and they're not 
first listen kind of songs. They're, they're third, fourth listen kind of songs. And I don't know. It's, so it's hard to say. I don't know in the, in, the, in the age of nowadays, the attention span of the internet and Netflix and everything, all the competition for, for, for entertainment and, and music. There's so much at, coming at everybody all the time. You hope that um, if you're going to connect with people that they can give something a chance. If you're making a film, that people will, will watch it and, and try to absorb it. But... Um, but you know what? You can just only do so much. If it feels right to you, you can say, oh, it feels right to me. Hopefully, all the people will get something out of it. If they don't, well, try again some other time. Right. <laughs> uh, and I will say, James, that Infected by Love demo, while it is only a demo, does feature some of the synth that wound up on the actual track. But it got better. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I Maybe I felt it was a little rough in the demo. But it, he found a good melody to play the synth to. And was this the uh, the song that had sounds that couldn't be recreated? No, that was Why Walk a Dog, right? That I don't know. Well, James, you mentioned Why Walk a Dog, and what a lovely transition. Now let's talk about track two, Why Walk a Dog. All right. Why does a dog need to be walked? Three birds fighting. But I don't know what they're fighting about. So why does a dog need to listen whenever you shout? It's an interesting one. (laughs) I like this song. This is the song that set the tone for me when I listened to the album for the first time, because I, I had listened to Connected by Love. I, I already knew what that sounded like. And then Why Walk a Dog came on, and this showed me what the album was going to be, in a right. way. It's it's going to be groovy and funk and soul and all of these different genres kind of rolled into one with prose mm-hmm. mixed, in the, mixed into it. Not all great prose either i don't know how how i feel about the lyric quality because I, I feel like there's a metaphor in this song that i'm missing uh, yes, um, yes yes but uh it from on its face it seems to be about puppy mills or selling dogs it's really funny you say that i had this long debate with tom valenti about there must be a metaphor i'm not getting here <laughs> and as we'll find out in a moment there's not um but this is one of the ones i really responded to during the listening party the bizarre lyrics are baffling but the the groove is fantastic when the servings and portions teaser came out one of the lines that stuck out to me was the what's so funny about beasts above understanding line Mm. because i thought it was a very jack way to address donald trump using costello's template like uh, Jack's version of a sample in a way, DJ Khaled style, but it is not. I just assumed it was about Donald Trump because it had Beast in it, but <laughs> we'll learn what this song is actually about. And it's really one that you kind of do take at face value. This is via globalnews.ca, and this is a, a big shout-out to a friend of the show, 
Gilles LeBlanc for transcribing this interview with globalnews.ca because it's a fantastic interview. They ask, we have tracks like Why Walk a Dog? I saw that title and I had to read it a couple of times. As a dog owner, I'm thinking, well, there's an obvious reason you walk a dog. Where did that come from? And Jack says, it's sort of like bringing up ideas of respect for animals and animal ownership and things like that. I've owned dogs in the past. I was exploring ideas of how it's still a bit funny, you know? Like we'd see a science fiction movie like Planet of the Apes, where they'd have a human as a pet or domesticated as pets. So it's kind of funny that you have to walk a dog, because you're not letting him be in his natural state of what he's supposed to be on planet Earth. You maniacs! Roaming around a field or something like that. You blow it up! So it was just the humor of that notion around a character asking lots of questions. Why do you need to walk a dog? Like, how a kid would ask innocent questions that maybe we don't really have an answer for. So, hmm. this is about the planet of the apes. Not only that, it's about Tim Burton's The Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Um, we do have uh, a lot of Jack dog imagery over the years. Uh, a boy's best friend comes to mind, mm-hmm. which we had talked about on our Distill episode. Jack, no stranger to that sort of imagery. A demo version of this song is also available in the Vault release. It's the B-side of the Infected by Love demo. Cats seem to blow Everyone's mine But mine what is so funny about peace above understanding? And why does a dog need to be walked? Both demos are really cool and surprisingly short. In fact, I was a little, I was a little disappointed that they were so short. Especially as Jack's been teasing like 30 minute versions of Corporation and shit, you know? Yeah. The demo for this one is like the same. At least it has all the lyrics to the song. It's like, it is the song. Yeah. For the most part. It just doesn't have the instrumental parts or anything like that. Right. But the demo's cool. I liked it a lot. I think I liked this demo a little better than the Infected by Love demo. But I, I think I like this song better than connected by love so maybe that's why i don't know once again this album has divided the fan community james i think you and i are sharply divided over this one i i like it because it's the one of the few like blues songs we get on the album Mm -hmm. because it's it's uh, more or less a straight blues with some variation but i find it a little forced i find the lyrics clunky yeah the three birds fighting out in the yard and it's, it's like at that point i'm like yeah i get it you know like you'd like the number three like <laughs> and i think the phrasing was kind of off for me i i think i prefer connected by love to this one but we have uh, the lyrics here why does a dog need to be walked three birds fighting out in the yard but i don't know what they're fighting about so why does a dog need to listen whenever you shout it's kind of funnier as a poem now that i'm now i'm reading through it these cats seem to blow everyone's mind but mine what is so funny about beasts above understanding are you their master did you buy them at the store did they know they were a cure for you to stop being bored so someone mated them and took their babies away from them stuck a price tag on their nose and now you're buying it clothes that's kind of biting so that's that that's that that's those biting lyrics i was hoping for and connected mm-hmm. by love yeah the second verse is the one that that captures me which is the 
one you were saying, you know, so somebody made at them and took their babies away, et cetera. And then way too, you're buying them clothes now. So right. it's going from this tragic thing to something that's people think is adorable and cute. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's genius. I like it. Uh, yeah. But it, it set a good tone for me in the album. And I, uh, I appreciated the song for that. Yeah. I think I generally agree. And uh, from there, James, we move on to Corporation. Who's with me? This song, James, I really, really like this song. We've talked in the past about Jack albums and having the coolest thing you've ever heard on every new album. It's like, whoa, you know, I've never heard anything as cool as Lazaretto. Oh, I've never heard anything as cool as Blue Blood Blues. Oh, I've never heard anything as cool as Store Bought Bones. Like, blow your mind type songs mm-hmm. this album is a little lacking in those for me although it has a it has a couple that come close and this one comes pretty darn close and i think it's objectively my favorite on the album even though i've sort of listened to it a whole lot at this point corporation's one of my favorites definitely top three it's very instrument heavy very lyrically shallow i would say mm-hmm. which is rare for jack white material I don't know. I, I enjoyed I thought the jam was awesome. The congas are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the squealing is different. I know I played it for Ariel, and she was like, it's, it's, she actually said, it's getting a little into Yoko territory here. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I can see that. I understand. I don't um, mind the squeals. I like the squeals. I, no, I did too, but I can see the layperson not. Yeah, uh, quite understanding. I mean, what's so funny? <laughs> understanding, but Corporation is a very good song. He tries to. I don't know if the tagline was forced into this song of "Who's with me," or mm-hmm. if he's been forcing the tagline from this song to promote the album with "Who's with me," because he's been using that as his marketing scheme for this album. Is "Who's with me?" Right. It was uninspired to me compared to something like uh, his last album that he had with the dead weather when they did uh, dodge and burn they had jack lawrence having a six-fingered hand was their marketing tactic <laughs> and that one that was like more interesting to me i don't know why because i think there was just there was something curious about that like who's with me is a seems like a political slogan whereas everything else seemed like a it doesn't seem like a marketing strategy but I like it. It's audacious to me. I wish it was on an album where more people would say they were with him. I am. (laughs) I'm with him. The shirts at the shows for Nashville and the Mayan and Warsaw were each different colored variations of that phrase with the city above it. And for those of the world who have no idea that that phrase refers to a tagline in a song on a, on Jack White's new album, it seems a little, 
it's a little embarrassing. <laughs> it's a little like, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, what are you trying um, to sell me? No, sir, I don't want to sign your PETA petition. Please right. get away from me. Right, it's like... Uh, it's like wearing a hashtag on your shirt or having a hashtag like on your car or something. It's just like stop, Paul. I search the roads all the time for hashtags. For hashtags. The best hashtags. <laughs> it's the best way. It's the best search function for cars out there. Yeah, let's get hashtags off of shirts. That would be the only hashtag. Thing... Hashtag off of shirts, please, on Twitter. Thank you, James. The only thing that would have made it worse is if it was hashtag who's with me. But let, let's talk a little bit about the song. This is a funk tune through and through. It's really solid. It's got driving drums followed by those trademark skippy descending chords of his you know he always got those he's always got those little skippy happy little chords and then jack takes a dive for anthemic lyrics with the who's with me shouting which i do quite like and the thing that really is great for me on this is the conga drums which Mm -hmm. are strange and prevalent and i like way more than like these strange and prevalent backing vocals if you were to raise the conga drums in the mix i'd be very happy where there's ambient voices dancing between the left and the right headphones periodically like ghosts or you know specters you know ghosts in the machine and there's also this fuzzy guitar solo in there which is like an echo of his older sounds that chunky fuzzy guitar which i believe is the same that is used on over and over and over which uh, we'll talk about in a moment, but that would be a specific kind of pedal that he's using there. Mm -hmm. So lots of sounds at work here. Then there's a spoken word segment, which sounds like a Coachella outtake or something. I'm thinking about starting a corporation. Who's with me nowadays? That's how you get adulation. He talks at one point about buying a giant farm. Buying up all the empty lots. Right. It's a long track. It clocks in at a cool 5 minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, I know our friend of the show, Jared Coral, had had made the case, James, this song would have been stronger had it been trimmed a bit more. Is that right? Yeah, I disagree, but that's me personally. I I really like the instrument heavy jam on it, but I I like jams occasionally. So, yeah, it's a nice, uh, you know, long voyage that you have. It's a nice long voyage. It's yeah. a nice long voyage with conga drums. Yeah. <laughs> now, apparently there's a 30-minute version of this floating around somewhere, which I would die. I would love to hear that. If he put out a 12-inch with 15 minutes of that jam on either side, I would listen to that on repeat and get a divorce. <laughs> Via Rolling Stone, White structures the track into two densely arranged grooves, layering clavinet, harmonized guitar leads, operatic shouts congas hip-hop style drums stereo pan shouts and his signature fuzz guitar tone i would point out one bit of continuity with a lot of these boarding house reach songs at least the jam ones is that they tend to start and end in similar places and fade out so there's usually an effect or a groove that starts the thing and then that in some cases differs wildly from the rest of the song then by the end of the song that groove or sample comes back and fades out to the end connected by love has it respect commander has it this mm-hmm. one has it a lot of them do mm-hmm. in an interview with mojo they say on corporation you rap i'm gonna start a corporation nowadays that's how you get adulation is this a political statement to which jack says yeah i was thinking specifically of donald trump at that time 
I did that whole vocal in one take as a freestyle, and he was on my mind. Then Mojo asks, what's your take on the recent political developments in America? And Jack replies, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to be an American right now, I think. I think everybody in America should admit it. He's an absolute joke, and I'm ashamed. That's all I can say. Yeah, the song lyrics take definitely some stabs at that, too, with the corporation being kind of a direct takeaway from Trump's holdings and things without getting too political. I'm on a voyage, Paul. Yeah, he talks a little bit more about it on uh, Hits FM. They ask him, on the new song Corporation, you sing the lyric, I'm thinking about starting a corporation who's with me, and I didn't know if that was ironic or not because you kind of do have a corporation. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jack replied, well, to be pedantic, Third Man Records is actually a sole proprietorship, (laughs) which is funny. It's actually interesting for people to know that because if Third Man loses money, it's not investors, it's not stockholders, it's me personally. It comes out of my wallet. So I'm the sole owner and the sole investor. But in that song, what I was kind of getting at was that if you're raised in a family like Donald Trump was, you are raised to think that when you're older, you become a CEO of a corporation, whereas someone in the inner city would never have the environment around them to even possibly think that's a scenario. You don't have a corporation. You start a company, a corner store, a small business, and you get a loan. You hope that the banks give you a loan. But that's for the plebeians and the peasants to do. That was my joke about people who grew up in an environment like Trump has. Nowadays, that's how you get adulation. Who wants to start a corporation? I'm thinking about taking it all the way to the top. Who's with me? So they respond, so with you, it's more an LLC situation, to which Jack says, yes. Mm. And then this is via Global News Canada. Again, thank you to Gilles LeBlanc for transcribing. But they ask, to my ears, it sounds like one of these songs that might have arisen out of jams. Is that true? And Jack says, yeah, a lot of them were. They were coming out of 20 to 30 minute jams. When we were in New York and LA, I'd say, here's the drum loop and here's an idea for a melody. And I'd play it to them and say, why don't you guys try to play along with this? And something cool would happen. And then I'd take that tape from New York to L.A. and ask a new group of five or six people to try and play along with this, too. What can you bring to the table to accompany this song? Nobody had ever heard the material before. No. I never said this is we're making a funk record. We're making a hip hop record. We're making a rock and roll record. I never said anything about what we're doing because I didn't want to ruin their take on the groove that we had. And so at that time, are you doing some singing, doing some scatting? Some you... of it, yeah, some of it. And then a lot of times I'll pretend that I have the song written as, as a thing for me. I'll, I'll go and say, okay, I've got this one I've been working on. I don't got shit. I got this one I've been working on. It uh, starts in C, and we sit down, everyone's already attentive, and I'm just making up as I go on, as if I've got a gun to my head and someone's telling me, write a f- song right now and pretend, to, pretend that's a scenario. They don't know it, but I know it. And cool things come out of that for me. I, I really like it. As long as you're a good actor and they don't sense that you're... That's smell insane. That, you know? <laughs> so I ended up coming back to Nashville with like 20 tracks. So it was a lot of editing. Hmm. They reply, Corporation, for example, I mean, there's a really cool groove in that song. I really didn't want it to end, to which Jack confirms, well, there's a 30-minute version there somewhere for you one day. One day. 
One day. So from that track, James, we go to a song that's not really a song, but Abuela and Acrasia. Abulia and Acrasia. Abulia and Acrasia. Yes. These are my demand. I renounce wholeheartedly in this extreme abjuration that which I repudiate so vehemently, adamantly, unrepentant, implacable, and intractable. <laughs> it's the first song mm. ever mm-hmm. that does not have Jack White singing on it at all in a jack white solo album in a jack white solo album and doesn't he not play the instrument yeah yeah he doesn't play anything on it yeah so jack's just not on this yeah so this one was extremely baffling i keep coming back to that word baffling because that's what this album is uh, at least upon a first listen this song in particular because well I'll, i'll just describe it the way mojo described it an oddball spoken word vignette by Aussie bluesman C.W. Stone King spieling like a garrulous Dust Bowl lawyer, which is true. Mm-hmm. I think I downright didn't like it until I heard Jack explain it, and then I got his little playful humor, and I wound up enjoying it. So this is via Global News Canada, and this is Jack talking. This is a strange one, because there's this vocalist named C.W. Stone King who was the vocalist on that song, I just love his voice so much. He was in New York, and I asked if he could come down, and he said he could. So I wrote this poem for him to recite. It was basically me trying to find as many words as I could that I wanted to hear him say, because I love his speaking voice. How can I make the most complicated poem about wanting a cup of tea? (laughs) That became my goal. Okay. The whole thing is this guy asking for a cup of tea in a, an extremely complicated way, and that's really, really funny to me. Yeah, no, that is perfect. I liked the song even before I knew that, or the composition um, <laughs> yes. before I knew that. Yeah. Again, it was one of those things where it was one of the tone-setting pieces of the album. Like, I was like, yeah, this is going to be an art piece. This isn't right. This isn't going to be an album the way I usually think of a Jack White album. Right. And I enjoyed this man, Mr. Stone King's voice. I thought it was great. The music in the background I thought was great. And no wonder why it has Daru, Fats, and Dominic on it. Yes. So it's basically his touring band with the exception of Lily May. Right. I, I liked it. I thought it was a, a quirky little weird poem. Old Mary style. Yeah. Something that I have surprisingly never skipped. I <laughs> I thought that the minute after I would listen to the, the spoken word stuff, because I'm not as into that as I am into the music, because that's just right. typically what I, I go towards is the music rather than the prose. But basically anything that has heavy prose in it on this album, I haven't skipped like, mm. once. This is via Hits FM. You really made me Google a lot of terms with this record. 
with extreme abduration. Yeah, especially the song titles Abulia and Acrasia and Hypermisophoniac, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. Where did you find those? Jack says, that first one started with singer C.W. Stone King, who happened to be in New York when we were recording there. I asked if he could come in and try something, and he said he could, so I wrote a poem for him the night before to recite, and the point was to find words that I wanted him to say because I just loved that dusty ghost of a voice he has these are just words that you collect in your brain over the years that are beautiful that you don't hear too often and it's sort of your job to write poetry or lyrics if you're an author or a journalist you know it's sort of an anti-orwellian thing to not have less and less words but to keep these beautiful words alive that don't have a fighting chance you know like in 1984 they're trying to eliminate words we don't say fantastic we say double plus good you can tell in the world of texting that that's a dangerous possibility. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, Jack. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Well, we, as we all know, the Egyptian hieroglyphs should never be forgotten, but God forbid if we go back to a hieroglyphic form like emojis, <laughs> that's blasphemy. I. <laughs> <laughs> I googled the the words, by the way. Abulia is the an absence of willpower or an inability to act decisively. Interesting. Acrasia is the state of mind in which someone acts against their better judgment through weakness of will. He really wants that cup of tea, and he's debating whether or not he deserves it. Yes, something like that. There, or yeah, he's acting against his better judgment, and I love uh, that he doesn't have the will to do it. I thought they were names. Like I, I keep reading it as Abuela, and I'm, yeah, I, me too. <laughs> so I, th- I just assumed they were names. I'm really happy you said that because I would have had no. I would have just gone on thinking they were names. That's really cool. Um, you know what? We saw that with the last album, Histrionic, mm-hmm. Avuncular, Avuncular taught us both Avuncular. I was at. Uh, I don't know if I ever told this story on the podcast before, but I was at a comic convention and I was at dinner with some talent, and I used the word histrionic in a sentence because it was like the month that Lazaretto had come out and one of the artists at the far end of the table went you talking about Lazaretto <laughs> because they jump those words jump out at you so the, it, this guy just so happened to be a Jack fan I did not know that when I said it I was so fascinated by these funky words because they jumped out to me in the song that I guess that happened with a lot of people in that album it's something Jack does quite a bit is use these weird words you know although i don't know how often i'm going to use the term abulia <laughs> whenever you need to call your grandmother in spanish yes ariel's abulia no no dude. it's abuela no no it's jack told me <laughs> no 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 i'm getting history on <laughs> now where's your uncle i'm feeling avuncular <laughs> via the la times there are two songs on this album i don't play any instruments on jack said quote that's great <laughs> Who's with me? Who's with me? Jack's taking a back seat to his own solo album. Who's with me? <laughs> he lets music control him, James. That brings us to the next track, Hyper Misophoniac. Oh, I love this song so very much. It's one of my favorites. I really love it.
Now, I know you do. If it wasn't for the robbing a bank bit and that little funky groove in there, I think I would downright not like this song, but that groove is pretty fun. I like the groove a lot. Oh, the groove is fantastic. The premise of the song to me, which is him taking this whirring of notes from a some kind of digital source. I don't know. It's like a laboratory computer, like from the 60s. I don't know. It's got this weird... Um, Uh, crescendo of notes and then it it goes back down it doesn't sound like music it sounds like noise and then he turns it into music by building a song around it and making that crescendo of noise and turning it into the backdrop to the song so it's like every time that plays he uses like a computer tone as like a little beat to separate the 4-4 I I don't know if it's 4-4 it might be 4-5 I'm not too big to the music of this but i don't know it's so good and uh, i posted on one of the forums it reminds me in spirit a lot of there's a dexter's lab episode and this is going this is a deep dive into obviously <laughs> the way i think but paul williams guest stars on this dexter's lab episode and paul williams is saying you know to dexter who's supposed to be he's a little scientist and he's supposed to be like practicing piano with paul williams why he's not i don't know mm-hmm. but dexter would rather be playing in his lab Paul Williams says, but you're making music already. And Dexter is just hitting buttons on his computer. And he's hearing these tones going boop, 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 And then Paul Williams says, I'm getting inspired. And he creates a song around all of this computer beeps and boops. Step up to your console, create some music, and breathe in the good sunshine. It's cool to me. I like it a lot. I know. I mean, that sums it up to me, and and it actually ties into why Jack wrote the song. Via Mojo, they said of this one that it fuses the loose, jammy menace of Exile-era stones with offbeat loops and cut-up vocals. And then Jack went on to describe the song via Global News Canada, where he said, There's a condition called misophonia. It's the hatred of sound. People are brought to tears by other people's sounds, like someone scratching their leg or plinking their coffee with a spoon. You can go on YouTube and watch how... I love that Jack is on YouTube. (laughs) You can go on YouTube and watch how this is a really terrifying condition. It would be very hard to exist with this condition. I was sort of thinking about that and wondering, well, what if I were to make very, very annoying sounds (laughs) with music and then try to make something beautiful, try to make rhythms come out of it, try to have a story come out of it, that was the goal. I don't know if I succeeded, but that was what I was trying to do. Hmm. It's not that far off from what you're saying, James. Although in the case you're describing, it's someone who can't hear that they're making sound because they're not looking for it. And in this case, it's someone who can hear too much sound and is hurt by it. Yeah. This is via Hits FM. Hypermisophoniac is a beautiful word for a kind of ugly thing. Someone who is almost medically adverse to sounds, or at least certain sounds, and Jack says, yeah, it doesn't actually exist. Misophonia does, but it's sort of morphed. 
I just loved this idea of hatred of sound. And I saw a little documentary about people who have this affliction and it really struck a chord in me. It almost seemed comparable to, I read about people born without pain receptors. They don't feel pain and that seems like a very excruciating way to live. So I was trying to put myself in their shoes. What if we took very annoying sounds in this song and tried to make something beautiful out of them by the end? I'm not really sure we succeeded in that, but it was the idea of trying to do that. Mm. So there's a lot of different sounds at play in this thing, and one of the things is, um, I've never heard of it, but it's a fidget cube. It's like a, mm. not a fidget spinner, it's like but... A, same in practice. It's for people who have trouble concentrating and they can spin this cube. It's kind of like a Rubik's Cube. Yeah, it was his daughter's, and so he recorded that for some of this. So that's interesting. I appreciate the uh, effort, and I like the groove, as I say, a lot. Slant Magazine wound up saying, if the combination of bleeding robot noises and atonal free jazz piano that constitutes hypermisophoniac was intended to induce the title condition, well, the track is a ringing success. So I don't think that they liked the song very much, James. Well, they're wrong, and uh, (laughs) that's all I have to say. It's got that chorus, Paul. The, uh, uh, it's got this rising chorus through it all. It just builds and builds and builds. I'm a sucker for songs that start simple with one thing and then keep adding more and more and more and more to it until it's this huge just wall of yeah. sound, much like Phil would want me to believe. But um, Right, right, right. I listened to this one for the first time on the highway, driving home feverishly, and I remember thinking what the hell like i guess i heard it for the first time technically in the um record release party and this is one of the ones that i sort of was laughing going what the hell and this is this song is specifically the one where i was like i'm never going to be able to play this for Susanna. she's just going to tell me to turn this off she did that with me and icky thump because she couldn't stand some of the repetitive noises and stuff to the point where she came over and was like is this music and i <laughs> i thought if she was doing that to something on icky thump she might try and murder me in my sleep with a samurai sword like that one video game couple so yeah as it turns out when i was playing this album for her, she didn't murder me for it and i saw a little head bob in the groove i was studying her reaction very closely, wondering what the hell it would be. As somebody does when they're listening to music, they love to be watched. It's just one of the best. <laughs> James, that brings us to the next track. My favorite on the album, one of the all-time greats from Jack, Ice Station Zebra. Paying interest on the bills of late, but I just can't seem to remember the dates. I lay low and turn off the lamps. Come on over, you can lick the stamps and we can put together a polio and sing hallelujah in stereo. Give the father baby letter into the fold, but keep the car running on molten gold. We got fever and there ain't no cure, girl. Take out insurance if you ain't too sure, girl. We do things that love us too well. Never have to ever hear the rings of school bells. Platines don't sell you the phone. All the time in the world, no twilight zone. My time is mine and they know they can't get it. JB told me you got to hit it, get with it. love this song not as much as you it seems but i do really like this song it is a three dollar hat mixed Mm. with i don't even know what oh man i don't know man i think this is three dollar hat mixed with beck you know what there's a lot of beck that i can hear in this album yeah a lot of different songs and we'll talk about it later getting the mineshaft has a lot of beck to me too Mm -hmm. but yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I like this song a lot, and the funky groove at the end of it is what really sold me on it. I yeah, think. what sold me was the beginning. I think it's the strong... This is one I keyed in on really loving at the album release party, but again, that drive home where I heard this album for the first time, my mouth became a jar, and I leaned back, like, with my eyes wide, I was like, what? Because <laughs> was, I was finally getting that new Jack White album feeling that I was really lacking for a lot of this record. By the time Ice Station Zebra came on, I was like, oh, this is, oh, okay. Jack's giving me some of my new favorite songs again. Awesome. <laughs> this one punched me in the gut. Like, it, not as hard as, like, Blue Blood Blues. When I first heard Blue Blood Blues, I was like, oh, Jesus, kill me now. This is my favorite thing ever. But there's a lot of similarity, I think, James, in songs like Blue Blood Blues and Lazaretto and icky thump to a degree these kind of rapping songs that jack's been doing and i don't mind his rapping in fact i kind of love it oh yeah this one is a straight up hip-hop song basically but via mojo it collages metallic blitzes shuffling bass lines and slamming piano chords jack's rap invoking odelay era beck but swapping cynical slacker poise for something more impassioned and unhinged. The opening is really cool because it goes through these little piano things. Ice Station Zebra. Yeah. The first 90 seconds to two minutes of that, I mean, <laughs> it's fucking nuts, dude. I it mean, is it's crazy, crazy <laughs> shit happening. To me, the first couple of minutes of that track sounds sort of the epitome of the way that you describe the record. I agree with you, yeah, I agree. And that, and that came out uh, a couple years ago. I had worked on a few tracks with Jay-Z. We were going to do an album together, just never culminated, and we didn't we didn't finish. But that was something I played drums, piano, guitar, and bass on as an idea for him to maybe inspire him to do something. Nothing came back, so I had that track, and, I, and now it was going through stuff in, in uh, New York and L.A., and I, I brought that up. I was like, oh, shit, I forgot about that. I'll see what they can do with this. Guys, play, you know, control them. Play, play along with this, see what happens. And I played it, and they were coming up with these cool clav parts and cool organ and, and, and sample hits and percussion and, bong and congas and stuff. And I just thought, wow, this has got some real life to it. And it turned into a real intricately written and edited song. Yeah, I mean, it's got a, a this real interesting balance to me between total freeform and at the same time, you can sort yeah. of, I can find the arrangement. There's that moment where it goes, those jumps really work for me. Surprisingly, did not work for me live. I thought they were a little too disjointed live. But hearing this on the record, I was like, holy like this is the cool shit ever. This is via the line of best fit in a review of the album. They said, Ice Station Zebra is a track that channels White's inner traditional blues tropes and Afro beat as a jazzy hip-hop-influenced vocal delivery grips the backbone. It's moments like this where White's kaleidoscopic musical visions seem more chaotic than ever, unsure of itself in the moment of its playing. Although I would say this thing has almost the gospel equality because as we were talking about before the call, or maybe it was on the call, I can't remember at this point, copying God, this notion mm -hmm. of uh, everyone is copying God. This song is definitely angry, and I think unhinged is a good way to put it. And I like, I, like, I, I mean, that's why we like Jack, I think, is that yeah. he's a little unhinged. <laughs> <laughs> this is one that Susanna liked a lot. In fact, she went, oh during the piano at the beginning as if to say what's happening 
Yeah, Ariel did too. She went. Uh, Ariel said it was a very uh, nice intro with the piano. She liked yeah. that too. This is via Global News Canada. A song I zoomed in on right away was Ice Station Zebra. I was a fan of the movie from 1968. I know the story with Rock Hudson and Jim Brown and the Howard Hughes connections. Are we thinking about the same thing? Jack says, yeah, it's just a lot of ideas about prison and things like that. Howard Hughes' favorite movie. I mentioned Cool Hand Luke and also a lot of ideas about musicians and artists all being in a family together. Kind of a ranting about a couple of those things, which I didn't realize it was a reference to a film and I didn't realize Ice Station Zebra was a movie, but James, via Wikipedia, Ice Station Zebra is a 1968 Metrocolor Cold War era suspense and espionage film directed by John Sturgis, starring Rock Hudson, Patrick McGowan, Ernest Borgnine and Jim Brown. Beneath the waters of the North Atlantic, the American nuclear submarine Tigerfish 3 begins its voyage to the Arctic camp. Their destination, a secret outpost at the top of the world, Ice Station Zebra. The screenplay by Alistair McLean, Douglas Haynes, and etc., etc., is loosely based on McLean's 1963 novel of the same name. Both have parallels to real-life events that took place in 1959. The plot has parallels to events reported in news stories from April of that year concerning a missing experimental Corona satellite capsule, Discoverer 2, that inadvertently landed near Spitsbergen, situated in the Arctic Ocean. On April 13th, it was believed to have been recovered by Soviet agents. In 2006, the United States National Reconnaissance Office declassified information stating that, quote, an individual formerly possessing Corona access was a technical advisor to the movie and admitted, Whoa. quote, the resemblance of the loss of the Discoverer 2 capsule and its probable recovery by the Soviets on Spitsbergen Island. All that very interesting. Didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Very cool. Also mentions one of my favorite classic films, Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Never seen Ice Station Zebra, but uh, I had heard of it. But now I'm going to have to watch it because I'm me and do that with Jack White things. Yeah. The prison references are not the only prison references in the, the album. Jack seems to be using prison as one of the minor themes of the album is, is prison. Which is funny because the last album was called Lazaretto, which is a yeah plague hospital, which must have seemed like a prison to... <laughs> <laughs> people stranded there yeah he, he mentions prison a couple times in mm-hmm. lazaretto too yeah um, via the la times quote from jack hip-hop is the new punk rock white said this week over drinks in downtown los angeles a few hours before he was due to play the sold-out mayan theater he was dressed as he often is in all black before him sat a french martini which he downed in three or four gulps quote Rappers have the dangerous edge of music now. What I would consider the closest thing to that stuff you might not want your parents to know you're listening to. So I guess Jack has found his wildness, and it is in hip-hop. That makes sense. I mean, they have been for quite some time, it seems, slowly overtaking uh, sales charts of, you know, rock music. If you consider hip-hop different from rock, I don't know if you would, but... I saw those headlines, too. They're sort of disheartening to see because as a fan of rock and roll... I, of course, want it to succeed, but I also am a fan of hip-hop. I think they can live in a harmony that's uh, not necessarily beholden to the inner workings of the dome underneath a backwards red fitted cap. That's a Limp Bizkit reference. It doesn't right. have to all be Fred You know Durst. he directs movies now? I did. I saw that headline, too. <laughs> um, well, Paul, I think we could both agree that uh, rock 
and hip hop are connected by love. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And that brings us, James, to the end of side one of Boarding House Reach and the opener of side two, over and over and over. feel like we can go over and over and over this song yes it's a can i say just at the outset here what a wonderful side opener for this album it really kicks in the door it's a great open honestly like if jack wanted to play this safe he could have opened the album with this and made a lot of people happy Mm. but i do appreciate that he chose to open something with it even if it was side b because it really is a strong opener and he's been opening his shows a lot with this song too yes i think he every now and then he has a, a little itch to scratch for a show opener yeah and uh, dead leaves was in that place for a while and there have been a couple songs in that placement blue orchid occasionally yeah 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 but over and over and over is a great side opener and it's the kind of riff rock paul that yeah. we've been looking for <laughs> so that's my very first note actually on this song is it's the most riff rock of all the initial singles we had heard. There was glimmers of classic Jack in uh, Respect Commander, but this one really was the bread and butter stuff. Riff rock, of course, referring to Jack on the vault chat, railing against people who were looking for the expected Jack White sound and Jack dismissing the expected sound as, quote, riff rock, mm-hmm. which I find kind of adorable in a way. <laughs> And I also get where he's coming from, because this one really is the anomaly on the album. He does tend to try and get one in there every time. And that's that's only to say a song that hangs on a riff. You know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is a song that he has admitted has come from the era of the White Stripes. As noted in Vault Package 33, you can see some of the icky thump notes you could see him scrawling over and over and over again on there yes so um this track debuted on march 1st 2018 it was the fourth song to be released on the new album and i think allowed a lot of fans who were extremely nervous about jack's new direction to breathe a little sigh of relief that you were going to get something that sounded like the old material on here even if those backing vocals are a little high in the mix. (laughs) But uh, this track's Ancestry, James, as you mentioned, dates back 13 years to the days of the White Stripes, and you can hear it in the music, honestly. Via Consequence of Sound, White said that after he failed to make the song work for the White Stripes, he recorded it with the Tours, which I would love to hear. Yeah. He didn't like that version either, however, so he set it aside for the now infamous Jay-Z collaborative project that never came to be quote from jack i was just gonna hand it off to my grandchildren unquote he joked in a recent interview with rolling stone quote it was sort of my white whale i chased it and chased it and finally all of a sudden it worked one thing i did not detail in here i don't think was that during one of the radio interviews he says he tried it with the stripes he tried Mm -hmm. it with the raconteurs he does Mm -hmm. mention jay-z he also mentions he tried it with the dead weather now Really? But that song is very old, too. It's the only time I've ever done that with a song. That song goes back to 
maybe like 2005 I've been working on that song. So uh, I never, I just never felt right. I worked on it with the White Stripes, with the Raconteurs. I recorded it with the Dead Weather, recorded it with Jay-Z, and recorded it with my last, my first solo album, and then recorded it again. I just, I don't know why I kept doing it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and it, finally, it worked and felt like something, so. Nice. I don't know if that's him just in a moment answering a question, saying whatever. Like, honestly, like if you're answering nothing but questions mm-hmm. in an interview site, in like a, an album cycle, it would be really easy to just start rattling off all your groups saying that you tried this song with all of them, even if it's not all true. Because the Dead Weather thing that was from this interview was... I don't even know what it would sound like in the dead weather, but... I can hear Allison singing a duet with him on the over and over, you know, that kind of stuff. Jack's style on the dead weather, whenever he fronts a song, like, I cut like a buffalo, Yeah, it could fit in that kind of style. And uh, like you, you had mentioned earlier, cut like a buffalo you know, fits the style of this album, too, to an extent, because it's true. a little bit you know, hip-hop-y. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could see I could see it happening and working. I just wonder, would he have had the backup vocals? Would Brendan have been the backup vocals on the the gospel singer? Would Brendan have been that gospel singer? It might have sounded a little like Five on the Five or Hold Up or something in terms of how the backing vocals would go. Yeah. Yeah, so via Rolling Stone, the track is centered around a thundering drum beat and characteristically blown-out lead guitar riff from White mm-hmm. that spins out in unexpected ways throughout the track. Over and over and over is packed with surprise flourishes like a sudden bongo break toward the end and a haunting chorus of voices that leaps out to finish White's lyrics with the track's titular refrain, the wind is blowing, volcanoes blowing, my lungs are blowing over and over. To be fair, those are congos, not bongos. Yes. When he got in the studio with Jay-Z circa 2009, he laid down a bunch of tracks with him, none of which yielded anything lasting, although versions of two of them finally pop up on White's new album. I played the drum beat, and then I played a bass line, he says. I played guitar, then he rapped over it. The fire-breathing riff of the new track over and over dates back to the White Stripes, and White tried to record it multiple times over the years, including with Jay who tried to give it the hook under my Ray-Bans. Ooh. So that was what the chorus hook was going to be. Under my Ray-Bans! Oh, boy, no, thank you. I'm very glad that it's it's not that. Uh, You know, I really... This is the first time on this show we've really started to hear a lot about the Jay-Z collaboration, and it's got me curious. Like, we're going to do a show one of these days on albums that never happened, like the third... Raconteur's album, the seventh White Stripes album, the Jay-Z collaboration. Like, we should detail all these things, because they're freaking interesting. Yeah. Pitchfork called the backing vocals operatic, and I agree. They're the only part of the song that doesn't work for me. I love the lyrics. I love the arrangement. I think the backing vocals are so prevalent that it's a weird choice that kind of takes me out of the song. They're like a Greek chorus, and the the whole song revolves around the myth of sisyphus and having that greek chorus there kind of adds to it to me and and not only that he plays with it a little bit in his digital effects he filters their voice and lowers their voice into like a demonic tone at a couple points and right i don't think it detracts from the song i know some people complain about that but for me personally it hasn't detracted it's just the song because of those voices lacks the And we're going to use this phrase a lot, I think, the wildness. Mm. Because the, the rest of the song is classic Jack. So yeah. when you have those voices over it, it does present a dichotomy. You know, you've got, on the one hand, a very white stripe sounding thing, and that's fine. 
And then on the other hand, you have this. Would you fight for my love style? Which I also don't mm. like. But that's neither here nor there. I just, it's a weird combo is all I'm saying. I, I think they, they both stand on their own. It's just for me, it's a weird combo. The weirdest combo, Paul, is Combo's Man, and I haven't seen him in forever. I don't know where this is going. I just no. miss Combo's Man. Now, I did not. I, now, I did not actually uh, look into the Sisyphus mythology at all. Oh. Do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I could go into Sisyphus for you if you want. Uh, Sisyphus was a guy who was condemned to an eternity of rolling a boulder uphill. Okay. Um, constantly rolling it up and up and up but uh, the mountain never ended so the boulder would obviously then start to he would get tired and the boulder would start rolling back down again and onto the opposite you know mountain so he'd he'd have to go back down and start rolling it back up again apparently he was the founder and king of corinth of the corinthians fame i believe so his triumph came at the end of his life i'm getting this from mythweb.com thank you mythweb.com Com, I guess. He was notoriously the most cunning knave on earth. His greatest triumph came at the end of his life when the god Hades came to claim him personally for the kingdom of the dead. Hades brought along a pair of handcuffs, a comparative novelty, and Sisyphus expressed such an interest that Hades was persuaded to demonstrate their use on himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby! Yeah. Uh, so it's like, uh, like at the time they were a novelty. It would have been a novelty to see. Ah, yes handcuffs well that's interesting i did not know that what really matters is he was basically doomed to an eternity of rolling a boulder uphill that would never ever stop you know that was what he did and that's what he would forever do yeah and jack white wrote about this and you know what it brings me to a point that i think i had mentioned it once or twice on this podcast that the a sub theme of this album is imprisonment Mm-hmm. And the Sisyphusian drama that he is talking about here really does fit into this sub-theme on the album, because yeah. Jack White, I think, was writing mostly about him being imprisoned to a certain style, a certain genre, a certain technique yes. uh, that he was forced to do for almost all his whole life. That's what he's expected to do. And uh, he's rolling this boulder uphill mm-hmm. constantly, and it just keeps rolling back down. It's it's his eternity of rolling this boulder up, and he's... Oh, the s- subtext, James. Exactly. And so he's, he's imprisoned in this, and this album, to him, is sort of a prison break, if you will. There are many mentions of imprisonment. Ice Station Zebra, obviously, yeah. full of them. He went on stage at the Warsaw in a, a cell costume, Humoresque, which we'll get to, has Al Capone references, whom was imprisoned in the United States for quite some time. There's definite prison vibes, and yeah. Sisyphus fits into that to a degree. That's interesting, and it also fits with the notion that he kept trying this thing over and over and over again. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and so the, the the song itself, it's it's a metaphor, I think, for, for perhaps that as well. There was a comfort level he needed to reach with the bands before he trotted this one out. It wasn't the first one that he brought out. It wasn't until the groups were all assembled and jamming had begun that he decided to bring this one into the mix. I think he may have been thinking, as many have remarked, that he needed one like this on the record, because there really wasn't one. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a touchstone. I'm glad it's on here. I think it sounds pretty good. So it's it's up there with 16 Saltines for me. Like, I'm not the biggest 16 Saltines fan, but I'm happy that one's on that album because it sounds like the White Stripes. And it's every once in a while, it's nice to be reminded that this guy was the White Stripes for a very long time. Yeah. 
and hasn't been for a little bit. This is via Ben Blackwell. For the record, I first heard this monster riff in 2005 Whoa. at Jack's house while he and Meg were recording Get Behind Me Satan. I am pretty sure that the Blue Orchid riff predates this one by a few days, huh. but in my mind, they exist hand in hand. While Blue Orchid smashed that recording process wide open and gave Jack the inspiration to make the album as badass as possible, this riff arguably is ten times stronger. I feel like Jack was originally calling it thermonuclear counterthrust, but maybe I'm just imagining that. I can find no contemporaneous documentation of that name. There are two takes of demo recordings of this song from 2005. Wow. With the riff played solely on fuzz bass. There are demo recordings from 2007 with the White Stripes trying it in rehearsal leading up to the tracking of Icky Thump. Imagine the guitar profile more in line with the octave-pedaled presence of the song Icky Thump, and that's a good start for understanding the 2007 version. I guess the Tours tried it, but I never heard any evidence. Same with the Dead Weather. It was apparently the main track that Jack and Jay-Z worked on in 2009, under the title Ray-Bans. Or behind my Ray-Bans. Can I get a full 12-inch album with every single demo recording of this friggin' song? And although I've never heard that working, I'm told to imagine the phrase behind my Ray-Bans to coincide with the last five notes of the riff. Behind my Ray-Bans. As Jack has already said, this had been his white whale. We sincerely considered including the 07 demo as part of the Icky Thump X vault package last year i have no recollection of jack ever previously giving me such an impassioned plea quote i just really think we shouldn't put this on the vault he said my response was pretty matter-of-factly well it's your label so please don't feel like you have to convince me (laughs) maybe he was trying to convince himself regardless At the end of 2017, when Jack had finally played me this version you hear now, upon the end of the song, I looked at him and I said, I've been waiting 12 years to hear this song with lyrics. The final version of the song is everything I'd ever dreamed it would be. It's my favorite moment on the album, with the coda to humoresque being a close second, which I also love and we'll talk about in a moment. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait to see this monster unleashed onto a sellout crowd at Little Caesars Arena, a stone's throw away from the gold dollar where the whole mess got started. Blackwell is. Good, Ben Blackwell. I am dying to hear this. And you know what? It's it's actually nice to hear Jack talking about what goes on a vault package because it's, yeah. for some time now, it's kind of seemed like the vault has just been a third man records. It's, it's everybody else but Jack putting it out. Right. And I know that probably isn't true, but it, it still feels, it's a mass produced thing and it feels like a, a fan service package to degree. But hearing that Jack actually has some input on it 
Yeah. Has, uh, it, it's it's nice to hear. Yes, I agree. This is via Mojo. It's a funk rock monster with overdriven backing vocal choruses, a slithering riff, and cochlea rupturing guitar freakouts. Ooh. White seeming to reason, quote, if I can't decide between being Prince or Captain Beefheart, why not be both? Not a bad place to be. Via the LA Times addressing criticism of the new album, quote, I hear a lot of talk about people listening to this album saying you don't even actually hear a song till you get to over and over and over, White said. What they're really saying is I'm not hearing a song that I want from Jack White until over and over and over. They want me to write songs like I did on Elephant, he continued, referring to the White Stripes 2003 disc. Eh, yeah, true. <laughs> I don't. More little acorns, I say. I, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. But he's learned a lot since Elephant, James. And the next track, Everything You've Ever Learned, is a pun connected with learning things. A true banger. Do you want to question everything? Think of a good question! It's fire. True fire. Yeah. A real heat rock. I love this song, Two Pieces. I wish it was longer. I Hello! Really... <laughs> when I had Susanna record the intro to episode 67, I didn't have the songs readily available because... Please tell me al- you told her to do a George Takei impression. No, uh, so the album wasn't out yet, so all I had to go by was the Servings and Portions version, where you only hear, you hear... Hello! I was... <laughs> Just picture, if you will, me standing in the bedroom explaining to my groggy wife, (laughs) you have to say it just like this. Hello. (laughs) I must have done it 30 times. And there's like a lot of outtakes where it's not quite there. I freaking love this song. I blared it so very loudly this afternoon or this evening on my way home from work. Like I said, my only wish is that it's longer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a short um, one. I want Jack to shout, shut up at me for (laughs) five minutes. Like, I want that. So, well, look, uh, just let's describe the song. There is a spoken word component to it that sounds like the intro to like a, uh, I don't know, a Disneyland ride or something. Yeah, that's what Ariel compared it to when I played it for for the first time. She said, it's a broken Disneyland ride. Right, right, right. It sounds just like that. She said world. Well, that's because... The better theme park. Well... You know, land was first, but okay. Anyway, and then it breaks down into this kind of funk track with Jack just shouting for a little while. And then it breaks down into like a rock song, like an actual honest to God rock, like a Led Zeppelin, like a chugging rock tune. That's when the song really opens up for me when Jack is screaming, shut up! Shut up! And then he's like, you want to see fire? Well, watch it burn! And then it just yeah, lasts. Uh, and now, if that rock part had lasted like two minutes longer and just you had his solo really high up there, I think this one would have just blown me away. Instead, I just really like it. But I, I think it could have really blown me away. Friend of the show and third person in spirit, always Callie Durga, had, had commented that this is a song that you could get a speeding ticket to because of the you want to start a fire, you want to watch it burn. 
yeah. uh, and he screams. It's definitely a song that has has gotten me into trouble because I was so into it, for sure. And that end chorus of, is just... It's a cool track. Adrenaline-inducing. Yeah, um, Mojo said of this one, Jack sounds like a brimstone preacher, which he does. I think this one has shades of West Coast pop art experimental band. Yeah. Should have called Susie and Bobby, We Like to Watch Fire. Uh, particularly in the fire being the cue to the hard rock. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a direct reference, but I think maybe subconsciously you might have been drawing some influence from it. It's a hard rock and tune. This one I could have seen the Dead Weather doing. It's one of the more theatrical songs on yeah. the album. You know, you could picture Jack raising his arms and going like, "You want to watch it burn?" I would have loved to seen this one live, and and sadly it did not. Yeah, me neither. Via Slant Magazine, and White stabs at an anti-corporate subversion heard on the game show music punk hybrid. Everything you've ever learned. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> so this this one is a complicated track in a lot of ways. Um, I believe in Rolling Stone's review, they called this one the equivalent of hearing a Luddite discover new software. I think this is an example of one that would have been exceptionally complicated without the benefit of Jack going back on his sort of Pro Tools stance, which, by the way, Kyle Ledford really just gave us a proper schooling on the long history of Jack White and Pro Tools, which is way longer yeah. than I had ever thought. And so thank you to Kyle for doing that. Uh, we will get into that a little bit more on a future episode, but hot diggity dog, this Pro Tools thing is not a new occurrence for Mr. White. Via globalnews.ca, the interviewer says, let's talk about the recording process a little bit. Did you use digital tools like Pro Tools? Jack said, to edit, I did, yeah. I'm not sure I would like to record and live in that world too much. I really love the world of recording to tape because there's something about erasing what you did. I like that technology. I think some people think I like this stuff just because it's old-fashioned. There's something about when you record a track on tape and you don't like it and you try again and you erase the old one. In computers, you don't do that. You keep everything. I'm not into that. I like to throw away things I'm not using. It's like getting photos developed, you know? I'll take out the four good ones and throw away the rest. That's sort of a divergence into his Pro Tools stance, but this one I think easily could not have been done without that editing technique. It's a uh, fairly complicated mm. tune. In many ways, like the, I feel like your normal life is the limitations that artists put on themselves, like eight or nine records in. Like, oh, mm. we're, we're going to make this on tape, or we're going to make this in, a, in, a, in an old recording booth, or, or we're going mm-hmm. to do this all in one take. In many ways, it feels like the limitations you put yourself on for this record are stuff like digital editing, stuff that people would normally, like you know, mm. more linear, easy-to-hold guitars. Like, this would be... Your limitations are this one are another band's every day. <laughs> could be, yeah. Do you know what I mean? The, yeah, it could be. I mean, this one, this album has so many things. It, it has so many uh, levels to it. Uh, James, let's t- take it now to another very complicated song, Respect Commander. Ooh, yes. She commands my respect. She commands my respect. <laughs> Recollect 
One of the first couple singles released, it was technically a B-side. Yeah, it was first released January 10th, 2018 as the B-side to Connected by Love. For the last two albums, Jack tended to give us a lot of non-album B-sides to chew on, but with this one, he's deviating from that tradition, which is a drag to me because it's cool to hear different B-sides, you know? Yeah, Um, I agree. But at the time, it was cool to get more of a flavor of the album, so it's sort of fine. I remember Machine Gun Silhouette coming out way in advance of Blunderbuss, just way in advance, and thinking that song was more indicative of uh, the album, which I guess kind of is in retrospect. But yeah, I miss the non-album B-side. I hope he does that with whatever the next single. If I've learned anything from his past two albums, Dodge and Burn and this album, not looking promising. Touch and Burn, though, is a different case. There were no non-album B-sides. He just wanted to release that as solely as 45s as an album. Right. And I think he's going with that motif. Jack's out of this tune on Respect Commander, where we sped the drum beat up so fast, it's almost impossible speed for a drummer to play, although Carla plays it at that speed live. Yes, she does. The engineer said, well, this is unplayable now, but I said, no. (laughs) no (laughs) we're just on the edge of it being unplayable you dumbass (laughs) that sounds like a good uncomfortable place to be via globalnews.canada jack said i'll play in the studio all the time but then once in a while i'll say hey i like this can you record this thing before i forget it I'll do that. And what happened with this album was a lot of those things. These little five-second pieces, ten-second pieces, especially from me on the drum set. Say the beginning of Corporation or Respect Commander, two songs from this album. That's me on the drums playing for five or ten seconds. And then I made a song out of that because I really like the tone of the drum beat, which I think Mm. is fascinating that those songs were born from Jack noodling on the drums. Yeah, similar to Jack making a drum beat that is near impossible to do. Something similar had happened on on Futurama. I know this is a, a bit of a tangent, but Maurice LaMarche voiced a character called Lur and a television host on the sh- television show Futurama. And uh, they liked the voice, but they took his voice and they pitched it down to a point where they thought was humanly impossible <laughs> to make it sound more alien. On the next episode... Maurice had heard that voice and decided to imitate it and did such a pitch-perfect job to what they (laughs) thought was inhuman that they kept that as the regular voice. That's awesome. So Maurice kept doing this uh, voice that he had originally been pro-tooled up. Yeah, that's very cool. Spin Magazine had some praise for this tune. Quote, it's been six years since the White Stripes broke up, but even without the strict color scheme and brother-sister act, Jack White's personal aesthetic has remained pretty consistent. He likes the blues, he likes simplicity, he likes the electric guitar, he likes antique furniture and handcrafted baseball bats. He's not really a guy who seems fascinated by the possibilities of technology, so it's legitimately jarring when, a few seconds into his newly released B-side Respect Commander, the drumbeat shifts into electronically enhanced overdrive. 
chopped up and reassembled in a manner that clearly involves some clicking and dragging across the digital screen. <laughs> and that's not the least of it. Soon after, there's the kind of canned orchestral hit that resides deep in the presets section of just about every keyboard sold in the late 80s and 90s, followed by a synth line that sounds like a laser beam. Taken together, the intro to Respect Commander leads into one uncomfortable inescapable question my god has jack white been listening to art of noise <laughs> it does have a nice little piano which is it's kind of stands out for sure they continue here respect commander is a frantic collage that harkens to the early days of sampling with the feel of classic hip-hop production teams like the bomb squad and the dust brothers in addition to the guys who wrote moments in love these new songs don't break white out of the past they just move the reference points forward by a few decades which i thought was an insightful comment i would love to hear the dust brothers do a jack white album <laughs> uh, i know that would never happen but the dust brothers famously did a, a bunch of beastie boys albums they did a they did a lot of of hip-hop albums they're very very good let's play a little bit of that here huh There's still plenty of Jack White here, they continue to say. The intro is anchored by a familiarly sleazy guitar riff, and when the chaos finally subsides halfway through the song, it settles into something like a slow blues shuffle. Almost everything else about the song is baffling in the way that may alienate some fans, but potentially exciting to those of us who think the old shtick is a little tired. Most importantly, after his occasionally torpid second solo album, Lazaretto, on Respect Commander, White sounds like he's having fun again. <laughs> Pitchfork ripped this song apart and had fun doing it. They called it the incomprehensible, albeit intriguing B-side, Respect Commander, is what any talented band would sound like after they ripped a few bongs and tried to cover Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. Whoa. Break beats, orchestral hits, congas, Jack White singing about how he likes to fuck in the morning. It's all thrown together in this gooey and psychedelic jam sesh that is a fine excuse for White to shred, which he does mightily. Taken as a whole, though, it represents the lack of substance with these two songs, referring to this one and Connected Oof. by Love. White sees himself as a blues deconstructionist, a riff lord who still wants to make his guitar melt in his hands, but his ideas are either rooted too staunchly in the past or are too undercooked to stake out new ground. Instead, White sounds like a blues fabulist amplifying his ego above everything uh. pressing his persona onto a limited edition tricolor seven inch available exclusively at third man record stores in nashville and detroit this saturday screw those guys it's a mean review james it's a very yeah. mean review i see where they're coming from to the layman i think that is a perfectly reasonable series of assumptions to make although i uh i think they're 
flawed in thinking that they know exactly where he's coming from on this. They did touch upon something that uh, that you haven't yet, which is there are lyrics in the song that uh, denote a certain subdom relationship in mm-hmm. a sort mm-hmm. of BDSM kind of yep. deal, which would later be reflected in Rob Jones's poster for the Warsaw in Brooklyn. Yes, yes uh, it would. With, uh, it was with like some, a boot, right? Yeah, with leather boots uh, yeah. stepping on a tank. It was like a single kinky boot beast. Yeah, y- <laughs> yes, a kaiju monster that's really into leather play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that on the listen. I was just hearing him sing about Olivia. I think, and I don't know him personally, obviously, he seems like the kind of guy that if he respects you, he holds that in very high esteem. And so if he were to respect a romantic partner, I feel like he would be fixated on that in a sexual and emotional way. That's how I would see that. Okay. I see it more as there are commands being spoken. Okay, yeah, probably. But I see what you're saying, too, and it makes sense. Which leads us to a very poor transition into Esmeralda (laughs) Steals the Show. 30 half steps to the microphone, smile on her face, flower in her hand. Oh, how a crowd can melt when they've been dealt such a deliciously delicate blow. By a barefooted fairy, not with a clang, but a whisper, totally stealing the show. Fools desire distraction and not take... Paul, that is totally absurd. (laughs) This one, I gotta say, James, this song really grew on me after I had heard some of the background. Because the spoken word aspects of this album, I initially did not care for... However, upon repeat listens, I actually do really like, and they they turned out to be some of my favorites on the record. And this one is kind of up there for me. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I think I mentioned last episode that the spoken word stuff is something that I thought would not warrant repeat listens. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I find myself listening to these more and more often than I had originally thought. They're not songs I would skip. Mm Mm-hmm. And Esmeralda Steals the Show, one of the highlights of the spoken word stuff to me, I mean, there's there's only two true poetry tracks on this album, which is Abulia and Acrasia and Esmeralda Steals the Show, which are the only two that don't have any actual, like, lyrical accompaniment. Yeah. And this one's good. It, it definitely encapsulates Jack White's yonder pouch thing going on, <laughs> and his, it, it mentions gadgets, which I find I just... Know fantastic (laughs) my eyes rolled like a sisyphean dreamer (laughs) over and like over when i heard the gadgets thing that's when i went into entitlement mode i don't know if it's my familiarity with his preferences or what but when i heard their heads down to their gadget i was like god jack just get over it man it's the future (laughs) all right the future sucks i'm sorry (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, um, via Mojo, this was a blast of baffling alliterative verse that gives you a very serious Vogon poetry vibe. The background of the song I found 
particularly endearing via globalnews.ca. Jack says, I've been to my child's recitals at school, and whenever I'm seeing them, I always start to fantasize when I'm sitting in a crowd about these kids just doing wild things, like some kid standing up and doing a clarinet solo without being asked, or some other kid just doing a cartwheel, you know, trying to steal the show, just trying to imagine, wouldn't it be amazing if this kid did a tuba solo right now? What if this angelic girl said the most amazing thing? And of course, the most amazing thing to him is stop looking at your phones. You people are totally absurd. Um, Paul, by the way, I don't know if you caught uh, the Vogon poetry thing, I think was supposed to be a dig at Jack. Vogon are a race of people in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Ah. The Vogon poetry is described as, quote, the third worst poetry in the universe. Oh, dear. Here's a sample that I uh, unabashedly got from Wikipedia uh-huh. of their poetry. Oh, Freddled Gruntbugly by <laughs> Mick Turations are to me as plurdled gabble blotchdists on a lurgid bee. Group, uh-huh. I implore thee, my fontan turly drones mm. and hooptiously wrangle <laughs> me with crinkly bindle wordles, or I will rend thee in the gobber warts with my blurgle crudgeon. See if I don't. Mm-hmm. So I think it's supposed to be a dig at Jack in that particular yeah. review. I would say that aside from the gadget <laughs> thing, I disagree. I, I do kind of love the word picture he's painting. I kind of like the music that goes with it. And especially knowing the background, that's what really cracked this one open for me because I enjoyed it much more after I understood what he was going for. Yeah. Although the gadgets thing just drove me insane. <laughs> Via the line of best fit, it's a spoken word lyrical delivery behind a twinkling acoustic guitar. It serves as a pace-changing interlude, which is true. Mm-hmm. It switches things up from the raucous Respect Commander to James. Our next track we'll be talking about, Get in the Mind Shaft. <laughs> Can you hear me now, Paul? I yeah. love this song. Yeah, one of my favorites on the record. Absolutely. Getting the Mineshaft is Top three. Yeah. As Kate Smelter would say, it's a true banger. Yeah. It's very good. It's what I wanted out of everything you've ever learned. It's a really nice sustained groove, which does start with spoken word. And the most interesting thing is that the spoken word is different depending on which version of the record you're listening to. There's nine separate versions of this Ooh. track. And possibly more, depending on the show. Like, the Warsaw show, he said a specific version of the beginning intro. I don't know if it's version-specific or if it's just they pressed nine different versions. I'm pretty sure they just pressed nine different versions at this point. Um, And I know Callie is trying to collect all nine and and have them. I'm trying to collect all nine and have them. 
It's tough. They're like Pokemon, Paul. You need a blue version and a red version to get all of them. <laughs> now, I heard this. I don't know if it's true, but I heard if you drop the needle in such a way, it might play one version of the other, which wouldn't be unusual for Jack stuff. He did that on the Lazaretto LP with just one drink, so... It is possible. Via globalnews.ca, Jack says, It's a strange thing, you know? There's that other Jerry Reed song, She's Got the Gold Mine, I Got the Shaft. So I decided right then and there, I was gonna do what's right, give her her fair share. But brother, I didn't know her share was gonna be that much. She got the gold mine, I got the shaft. They split it right down the middle. And then to give her the better half Well, it all sounds sort of funny But it hurts too much to laugh She got the gold mine I got the shaft There's the movie shaft I was just trying to play with words Until I came up with some kind of metaphor That made sense For how I was singing in that song Because I'm singing through a vocoder Which I never did before Just a little bit more psychedelic, I guess uh, Jack said, and then via Mojo here, an oddball robo funk epic composed of wheezing quisha, c u i c a, rasping vocoder vocals and squealing Bernie Worrell esque synth feels unfocused and undercooked, which I disagree with. The line of best fit music called it a synth heavy trip hop banger that could have just as easily ended up on Thundercat's B-side for drunk. Moments like these are both the most confusing aspects of Boarding House Reach and the most enticing. Nothing has ever sounded so oddly organic for an artist that already has too big of a discography. And James, you've got something to share with the people at home. Aquisha, by the way, or Kuika, Kuika, I think mm-hmm. it's actually called. It's a Brazilian instrument, and you would know it as the thing that sounds like a monkey, Paul. Uh, it's the thing that goes, ooh, 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 ooh. and you can oh, hear it on ooh, Get ooh, in the Mind Shaft. Yeah, yeah, that thing. So people actually play this professionally, and there are people who do whole solos of the Kuika, Kuika. It's ridiculous sounding wow. instrument. I love it very much. It's pronounced Kuika. Okay, Kuika. Yeah. Got it. Uh, it's per- Portuguese Brazilian friction drum. That Anywho. is very interesting, James. I did not know that. Via slant, the lush synths and vocoder vocals of Get in the Mind Shaft produce an entrancing futurism like something out of a dream, which I think Luke Skywalker would affirm. And I really do love this track. It's a standout for me. And as I said many times, my barometer for what the general public might enjoy out of Jack White comes from my wife. And if I'm playing her a Jack White album, she will tell me truthfully what is good or bad about it. Jack recently said that the only way you get truth out of people is by talking to children and the elderly. I get that by talking to my wife, Susanna, and she liked this one. So I think this there's a lot of merit in this one, and it's, honest to God, Ice Station Zebra, Corporation, Get in the Mind Shaft. If you had that and over and over again and, like... Connected by Love. Connected by Love, that's a solid EP. <laughs> Yeah. This album would have been an amazing EP. Instead, it's just a confusing long player that I do, in the end, really, truly love for its intent. Yeah. Love this song, though. 
this song does what, like I said, it's longer than everything you've ever learned. And for that, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And I love the Vocaloid stuff, really do. Yeah. I know some people have said they don't. I love it. But it, it reminds me of Beck. It reminds yes. me of a lot of different things. This song is one of the highlights. I'll skip to this song if I'm trying to get pumped on the road, you know? Let's move on here to the penultimate track on the album, What's Done is Done. What's done is done I just can't find it no more So I'm walking downtown to the store And I'm buying a gun This just ain't no fun Now this song is funny because I found virtually nothing about it in the interview cycles well i can tell you uh what he said at the warsaw that night which is this is a song about how easy it is to get through all life's problems yeah threaten to go buy a firearm and blow your brains (laughs) out yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) there's a political undertone in it i believe you know what this one could have used james some context a little lily may rishi Oh, yes. Can you imagine? Oh, yes. Lily Mae would have elevated the hell out of this song. But I, I like it. I like this song. This one grew on me, actually, a little bit. It's a, It sounds like something off of Lazaretto without Lily Mae. The credits to What's Done is Done, it is engineered by Joshua Smith, whom I saw at the live show. Oh, did you? Jack White on vocals and electric and acoustic guitar. Esther Rose on backing vocals. Carla Azar on electronic and acoustic drums. Mm-hmm. Neon Phoenix on bass. Quincy McCrary on piano, Anthony Brew Brewster on synthesizer mm. and Hammond B3 organ. I'm assuming it's a B3. It just says Hammond organ here. Mm-hmm. And Justin Pore on the shaker. Interesting. Uh, and so the only names I know are Jack White and Carla Asar. Those names are common for the other tracks as well. It's funny, on this album, we haven't really gone over the liner notes too much on some of these tracks, but virtually all the Lazaretto touring band is on these in one way or the other. Fats Kaplan, Daru Jones, obviously Dominic Davis. The principal one missing, sort of glaringly missing, is Lily Mae Rishi, but as we as we talked about earlier in the episode, she may very well be on it, just uncredited, because they do talk about her naming the album with a fiddle solo. But uh, anyway, I like this song a lot. It fits uh, the Lazaretto era, and it also somehow fits this era at the same time. Yeah. Mojo labeled this track as one of the few that would fit comfortably onto Jack's prior efforts, calling it a lovely maudlin country duet. Slant Magazine called it overzealous. It's a country-ish tune. It seems like something that would fit on some of his previous solo albums and during the listening party it's one that i thought would be one of my standout favorites because during all the murmuring and muttering that was going around in the store it was one of the songs that sounded like a song to me at the time it's still good i like it a lot but it is not my standout favorite i think the previous song getting the mineshaft vastly outdoes this song to me I agree. And then, speaking of songs that have grown on me, Humor-esque is the last track on the record.
it's like a part two of what's done is done in a kind of what's done is done starts like a cool down yeah. zone for the album so you get all these high points and then you have what's done is done it's starting to like touch you down it's funny blunderbuss i think we haven't done an album review of that yet but i think one of our common criticisms of blunderbuss is it ends several times yes lazaretto ends several times poorly and this one to me ends several times but it doesn't end with a bang but with a whimper although i do like humoresque particularly the jam after the singing this one i will say at the start here is one that susanna turned to me when it was on in the room and she uh, was listening to it she turned to me and said oh no wonder fans hate this <laughs> And not to say that like a bad thing. To say it like, she was like, this doesn't sound like Jack White. Mm -hmm. This song is not something that sounds like him. In the singing, in the groove, in anything. It's It's jazzy. It's it's a jazzy jazzy song. Yeah, Yeah, very jazzy. This one obviously has, has been talked about a lot online, has a surprising connection to Al Capone via Rolling Stone. Sometimes buying stuff yields artistic pay dirt. Last year, White purchased a musical manuscript written by Al Capone and Alcatraz in the 1920s. Hey, even gangsters could read and write music for a song called Humoresque. You thrill and fill this heart of mine with gladness like... A soothing symphony. Capone, it seems, played tenor banjo in a prison band with Machine Gun Kelly on drums. The song, a take on a Dvorak work, turns out to have been recollected, not composed by Capone, but White still ended up recording it as the closing track on his new album. He's moved by the idea that a famous murderer had a weakness for such a gentle, beautiful song. Quote, It shows you, like, what we were talking about earlier, he adds. Human beings are complicated creatures with lots of emotions going on. This Rolling Stone piece has confused a lot of news articles into thinking that the song was written by Al Capone. It was recollected by Al Capone. It was inspired humoresque in in itself the the song humoresque was inspired by this al capone song which was similarly titled via slant a rendition of a famous 1890s dvorak piece with lyrics by howard johnson as recollected on a manuscript written by al capone in prison that white purchased at an auction if that backstory isn't interesting enough white's rendition undoubtedly is Obviously, Jack White, no stranger to the auction scene, James, because friend of the show, Rob Jones, is famous for recollecting a stuffed luchestic peacock for Jack. I had to pry that one out of the corners of my brain. I'm sure it wasn't a stuffed Uh, turkey filled with delightful stuffing full of just the best Uh, butterball stuffing. Hi, Carl. Hello there. Yep. I, yes, I guess you could call the Carl Butterball segments of this show humor-esque. <laughs> For they're not quite humorful. They're not quite... Humorful? Yeah, the, the noble turkey. Uh-huh. Uh, Paul, I'm tired. And I don't think I could come up with a good joke. Even if a turkey had gobbled into my ear. Carl, I heard you were good friends with uh, Mr. Capone. As me and Al, we go way back. We both did stints at Eastern State Penitentiary <laughs> with the noble turkey bird, the Alcatraz Birdman, 
You know where he got all his birds. He got them from me. Carl Butterball of the Butterball Turkey for Foundation, I guess, is what I have. <laughs> Goodbye! Alright, good, good seeing you, Carl. Via Mojo, the very sweetest, gentlest breeze of pre-pop song craft, a lullaby adrift on inky, choppy piano chords, its simplicity and innocence a world away from the rest of the album. Yet, in the context of Boarding House Reach, it makes perfect sense. This is an album restless in its search for the new, the sound of White's reinvention in progress, scorching the earth in anticipation of what might follow. If it misfires on occasion, it's certainly never dull, and it never quite reaches its destination but it's still quite a ride. To finish up on this song, Ben Blackwell said his favorite moment on the album is the coda to this song. Hmm. So James, that is the track by track of Boarding House Reach. So we're going to do something different tonight. Uh, We are going to kick it to our listeners this week and allow our listeners to give us their own personal reviews of Boarding House Reach in a segment we like to call Our Third Listeners. James, shall we kick it to our listeners? What do you say? Yeah. Let's get some fan reception from our third listeners. Mineshaft. Not only is this my favorite song on the record, it may very well become one of my favorite Jack White songs. It's certainly one of the most unique pieces of music he's created yet, and not only for the uncharacteristic mix of synthesizer, quica, and vocoded voices. If you look at the insert that came with the album, Mineshaft is the only song that doesn't list the full lyrics. The reason for that is that there are multiple versions of it. Depending on which album pressing or digital copy you ended up with, you can hear it begin with one of nine different intro stories that Jack recorded, ranging from things like him learning to pick out chords on a piano in an abandoned house, to the sound of frequencies in nature, to the mental battle of baseball pitching, or the story of a hum that terrorizes a town. He even recited a tenth version, a story about his 97-year-old grandmother, when he performed the song in March at the Warsaw in Brooklyn. Regardless of which story you hear, the dramatic, swelling strings in the background give weight to the words, making them seem like something profound. Then it gets weird when the story fades into that electronic breakdown of synthesizer drums and digitized voices singing, It's strange, let's try it. Can you hear me now? Am I invisible to you? The voices are a mix of Jack, Esther, Rose, and the two McCrary sisters who sang on Connected by Love and Corporation, all apparently run through a vocoder. The effect reminds me of how he made Meg White's voice sound more childlike on St. Andrew. This battle is in the air by speeding up the tape. But here it makes them sound like alien children pleading for a connection, which kind of seems to tie it back to the plea and connected by love. The weirdness of the sounds makes it a hard song for some people to connect with. But if you can get past the weirdness or even better, get fully into it, this is a seriously rewarding song. I believe that Boarding House Reach does a lot of good things for Jack White's career, especially considering his past, uh, his track record and his past albums. 
and looking at all the new stuff and new genres he's ex exploring with this new record. Uh, after Lazaretto, I was afraid that he would be kind of stuck and moving in the same place over and over again. And then he came out with this record that is not a traditional rock record by any means. And I think it's great that for the first time, perhaps, we get to see into like the mad genius of his mind with this record that is all over the place in terms of uh, instruments and the way the songs are structured and all those things. And I think it's a great record. A lot of people have mentioned that there's a hip hop influence on the record. And I agree, it's there, but if you really want to see what this record sounds like, it doesn't, doesn't sound like that much uh, like hip-hop. I would suggest uh, listeners to go and listen to two records in particular. One is Headhunters by Herbie Hancock, which was like a pioneer jazz fusion record from a jazz musician, but it took jazz into some new interesting directions, and it sounds a lot like what Jack is doing on Boarding House Reach. And another is Blow by Blow, an album by Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck should be familiar to you if you like rock music at all, but Blow by Blow is basically a, a jazz fusion record too. More guitar-oriented than Herbie Hancock's album that I mentioned. But again, if you listen to that and listen to Barton House Reach, you see a lot of similarities between the two. And I think it's cool that uh, Jack is going to jazz. Uh, I don't see a problem with it, especially because he's doing it through his own vision and not really uh, copying anyone else's. And I'm, I'm glad with the results. I'm happy to have this album. I'm happy that it's different. I don't know how it's going to sound live. I haven't heard any recordings yet. Uh, I don't know if he can pull it, pull it off or not, but I'm happy we have this record. And... I have to listen to it a lot more still to properly digest it because it's still a lot to take in, but I like it. By the way, my name is Fernando from Brazil, and my favorite track is probably uh, Corporation. Hello, this is Colin Weiss from the UK band Joe Symes and the Loving Kind, and today... I am going to uh, attempt to give my review of Jack White's new solo album, Boarding House Reach, that was released recently. From what I've read, there's been what you might call some mixed opinions about this album because the uh, direction it's taken is very, very different to say the previous two solo albums, um, Lazaretto and... Blunderbuss. Obviously, you know, if, if people, you know, can't really seem to get it, then, then you know, they're entitled to their opinion. But I think it's a good thing that um, he has taken a slightly different direction with this album because the last thing you would want uh, um, would be, say, like a, a Blunderbuss part two because then people would probably say, well, he's just bringing out more of the same. So he's, he's attempted to do something different on this album, which I think is a really good thing. It's something that my own band personally takes pride in doing, always wanting to do something different after each release, whether it be an album or a single or EP or, or whatever. Um, and obviously you can see that different direction too in his live performance as well. I recently watched a podcast of a, a recent gig that he's done to promote the new album and the format live is quite different obviously he now has a 
he doesn't have actually a, um, a violin player. He doesn't have a pedal steel guitar player now. Um, now he, he, it's him on guitar with drums, bass, and two keyboard players. And he's got two new guys now. I think it's it, Quincy McRae and the Elevens on keyboards. And they do a really great job live. And uh, Dominic Davis is back on bass. And it's real nice to see Carla Azar back on the drums for the full tour. They're not swapping like they did on the first tour uh, with Daryl Jones. So obviously it's great to see that live and the, the approach is different and obviously he's using different guitars, he wants to look different, sound different and you know that's what I think any artist should do, the, 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 he or she must always you know, sh- strive for change and do different things. But obviously uh, going back to the album um, itself, I, I, it's, it's one or two things on it, it took a little time to grow on I me, mean, not too long but I, I think most of it's all settled now and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy listening to it as much as uh, his previous two solo albums and other things before that. Um, favorite tracks, I've got to say that um, it's you know a, a lot of them. It's difficult to say. Uh, Connected by Love is uh, is up there for me. Uh, Why Walker Dogs? It's it's pretty good. Corporation really like. Ice Station Zebra I think is um, really good. It's really funky. Uh, over and over and over, uh, which I believe was actually written in two thousand and five. And uh, could have been maybe for the White Stripes or the Raconteurs, and I can kind of hear that, and I like that song, Respect Commander. W- one that this might be surprising is actually a humoresque, which allegedly um, a part of it was um, founded from uh, some written music allegedly by Al Capone while he was in prison. Um, and obviously, but between that, there's a lot of these other uh, interesting, you know, kind of like you know, interesting tracks that are like more like pieces of music and little interludes. I believe it's called Everything You Ever Learned, which I think is quite amusing. Um, Get in the Mineshaft as well. And I believe it is a a bullier and a, a, a crazier. I might be pronouncing that wrong. And that's a little interesting ditty, as I call it. But um, yeah, um, it's a good, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting album. I like it. And um, yeah, and obviously if everyone, if, for those people out there who agree with me, great. And if you don't agree on my opinion, then you're perfectly entitled to it. Um, so that's my review of Boarding House Reach. And I'd just like to thank Paul and James from the Third Man Podcast for asking me to do this. And uh, everyone out there, check out the Third Men Podcast. Uh, there's some great uh, shows out there talking about Jack White stuff, and it's really entertaining. So uh, thanks again, and see you out there. third men this is julia from detroit indie rock band at meg jack white doesn't become jack white by playing it safe spanning so many different genres boarding house reach is an album that shouldn't work but it does because it's jack being true to himself even though jack seems like a man who does what he wants he has made some very commercial songs like over and over and over and connected by love which is one of my favorites but he's left room for experimentation and nostalgia. A song like Humoresque, with the music by Dvorak and lyrics by Al Capone, only Jack White could get away with that. It sounds like an artist who's enjoying his medium, and I'm all for that. Hey guys, Stephen Scott here, giving my thoughts on Boarding House Reach. Before we get into my overall impression, let's talk about some of the tracks. The opener, Connected by Love, is one I keep returning to. It's one of my favorites. I absolutely love the organ and guitar solos in it. 
It's a song that I don't think it would have felt out of place on the last two solo records, and it's one I can just drop into a playlist, and it works great outside the context of the album. It's a great album opener for sure, but also a little misleading as I feel it feels like familiar territory for Jack and the rest of the album takes some twists and turns. Um, Corporation, I really dig. It's some good car driving music. I gave this whole album the car stereo test and this song passed. I like his instrumental work. Uh, I felt this was a nice successor to Highball Stepper, even if you know there's a little spoken word stuff in there. Uh, over and over and over feels like Jack throwing his core audience a bone as it you know, sounds more back to basics, but like the title itself, I found the song a little too repetitive. Uh, I like humoresque. I wish it were longer. It seems like, you know, just as it gets going during the instrumental part, it, then it wraps up, but it's a nice outro. And I'm a sucker for the piano ballads, which explains why I've got such a sweet spot for Blunderbuss. That's my favorite of his solo output so far. Uh, some of the songs here don't really count as songs as they're just spoken word tracks. And if you listen to the album, you know which ones I'm talking about. Uh, they don't really work outside the context of the album. And so that makes the album feel very much like a concept album, which isn't a bad thing. It just means I won't ever listen to these tracks outside of the album unless I'm playing it in full. And then there's Ice Station Zebra, the title which sounds like it resulted from a game of Mad Libs. Uh, the song, I think... It, the generation before us would refer to it as noise, but I actually kind of dig it because it's so weird and unexpected. This al whole album just feels like Jack fully embracing his weirdness, and I think that's cool. Get in the Mineshaft is a cool song, but if you had played it for me and not told me it was Jack White, I would never have guessed it was him. It's like he woke up one day and said, I'm going to write a Daft Punk song today. So he's definitely challenging his audience and the perception of who he is with this album, and, and I admire that he's not content to just do what's expected of him as he continues to evolve his sound. If I'm comparing this to his previous solo work, uh, this ranks third for me behind Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. I feel Jack remains one of the most interesting artists working today, and this is by far the most experimental we've ever heard him, but it's safe to say I won't be returning to this record as much as the others. And that doesn't make this a bad album, just not what I'm looking for in Jack White album right now. So going by the Third Men podcast score out of three, I give Blunderbuss a three, Lazaretto a two, and Boarding House Reach a one out of three. I came to appreciate this Boarding House Reach uh, pretty gradually. I think like a lot of people listening, I started checking out the songs as they were uh, released on streaming service. And none of us expected Jack White out of the gate with a new album to give us a low throbbing synthesizer sound and a kind of uh, thin melody of a song, but connected by love, like everything else that was released prior to the full album starts to make more sense within the context of the whole. Um, and I picked that up when I went to one of the listening parties, but certainly once I got it at home and could put it on my own system and really crank it, it, it really started to make more sense. There's so many delicious elements throughout that form musical high points, the ripping guitar solos and big fuzzy blues riffs that we're familiar with from Jack, but also, you know, some killer funk hooks, like when you're robbing a bank, when you're robbing a bank. And the judicious placement of a, a couple of juicy Hammond organ solos, beautiful piano fills. Uh, the people that he worked with on this album were just are just fantastic. Um, you know, lots of things stand out in various tracks. Corporation with those 
squeals that are, you know, augmented somehow from his voice, but you can still hear Jack's breathing um, at the beginning, at the end, as he lets those squeals go. Um, so it still stays kind of organic. There's a killer guitar solo and a blues riff on that song. Uh, I love the lyric about the empty lots and building one giant farm because that's an idea that's been kicked around for a lot of the renewal of the city of Detroit. Abulia and Acrasia, or however that's pronounced, is is a lot of fun too. Um, the spoken word, all these you know fancy 17th century words, sounds like Eugene from The Walking Dead. Um, Hyper Mesophoniac, of course, I really like that because uh, it's got that great funk riff, but it's also got that annoying tape loop, which is the whole point of the song. It's about songs that there's sounds that bug, bug people. These um, Mesophoniacs. Over and over and over is, to me, a perfect Jack White song. It's got a great riff. Of course, we all know the history of it. A lot of people were put off by the background vocals, kind of this discordant um, voices. And um, I think it sets it apart. It, it, it's not the obvious way to go with that. I'm glad Jack did it. It reminds me a little bit of the way vocals are done on like Bowie's Scary Monsters album or some Todd Rundgren songs where it's like, why is that extra note in there? It sounds weird, but you get used to it. Uh, you know, again, I'm just kind of struck by the intricacy with which Jack put all of these elements together. A lot of the synth sounds um, sound like old hip hop um, from the '80s, um, the you know, or, or from funk music from back in the '70s. Really, kind of recalls Jack's back to basic uh, aesthetics. And to me, it was it was uh, reminiscent of the Heidelberg Project, which is this weird outdoor urban art installation in Detroit. So like that, it's, you know, found objects and sounds, stuff you'd recognize from an earlier time, but the meaning's turned inside out and it's cobbled together in these interesting ways and fashioned into fun and funny and funky collages. Um, and then there's these little miniature manifestos, like, so they have signs like that at the Heidelberg Project, but Jack has these little manifestos and is woven throughout the tracks on Boarding House Reach. Um, you know, and these aren't state of the art R and B sounds necessarily. So it's pretty consistent for Jack White having this this older sound, um, even when it's creating these odd and um, somewhat new funky and R and B sounds for him. So I think Chris Rock was kind of wrong because for me, knowing how these songs came together, the melding of the Jack White self imposed restrictions, the back to basics aesthetics using older instruments and tech. Uh, makes it a, a more interesting and satisfying listen. And it really sheds light on why Jack went in these new, dire new directions. Uh, I'm digging it, and I am really looking forward to hearing these tracks live. This is Mark Petz signing off from West Michigan. Hey, guys. This is Ben Carnes. My vault handles Beer Man Blues. Giving a quick review on Boarding House Reach. Thoroughly enjoyed the record. I uh, received my vault package on release day, so I took that bad boy out, threw it on the platter, and gave it a spin, and I was in. I was hooked. Uh, liked it from the get-go. It's a great blend of some spoken word tracks with fantastic uh, musical accompaniment. Uh, it seems like Jack's found himself a, a great group of musicians after scouring and, and picking and searching, and uh, I love it. I uh, got a chance to see him perform live um, the Third Man Blue Room. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Really enjoyed the um, whole deal with the intro to get in the mine shaft. Uh, my vault release was the Sunday morning Ghosts intro. 
Uh, I thought that was really neat how they split up all those different intros uh, amongst all the different uh, pressings and uh, you know fan base trying to scour and find them all and hear them all and uh, just furthers that sense of community that Third Man has done so well cultivating. Um, thought that was really neat. Um, you know, it's a polarizing record, and I can understand why people seem to either love it or hate it. Um, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say it's one of my top uh, three albums of Jack White's by any means, but uh, definitely enjoyable. The man never never fails to entertain. Um, I love that he took the restraints off as far as the engineering and uh, production aspect of it. Um, you know, getting to, to tinker around, make things a little bit easier. Uh, but still, when it came to the uh, getting the album springboarded, uh, locking himself into an apartment with the bare essentials uh, to get those bones down and uh, get the album started. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Over and over and over, kind of the uh, traditional Jack White uh, sound that most people are looking for uh, as far as, you know, coming off of Blunderbuss and Lazaretto. Uh, that one's definitely kind of the crowd pleaser, I think. Um, but yeah, it's a overall great album. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's funky and bluesy and weird and everything you'd expect from Jack White record. Um, was kind of taken aback by people that were that were surprised by this record. I think the writing was on the wall for this release for some time. Um, you know, with the cover of Stevie Wonder and some of the other things that he was doing and things that he's into the music that he likes i mean it was just a matter of time before jack white cut a funky album and uh this is it i love it i think he did a great job um speaking of doing good jobs you guys are doing a great job on the third man podcast thank you so much for uh having a place for all of this jack white history and mystery to go and to live on and uh thank you guys thank you so much you're doing a great job beer man blues out as keen observers of the amount of time we took getting through this track by track will note it looks like we are going to be going into a volume three for our boarding house reach coverage now next episode we will be back with our review of the album our own personal reviews we will be back with coverage of the album's reception we will be back with some final thoughts from jack on the album and we will also get into the live shows that have been played as teasers for the upcoming tour so those are the los angeles new york and nashville shows we're going to get to all of that next time but until then we're going to get into some shout outs here we've got a lot of new listeners to the show and people interacting with us on social media we have martin dixon or at lone wolf underscore 1971 which is very nice of that person we have at i c f a d c o i c fadco yeah i see fadco that's very nice of that person i really appreciated at headcoat girl or ash on twitter saying that by james saying that jack went to college on this record that she was dying hashtag class of 2018 i found that very <laughs> very funny uh, we have Kat Rad Kabatova, 
or at RM Blanick, which is very nice. We have uh, Jillian or at A Daft Scott, which is very, very sweet. That person, Warstick, has been interacting with us, which is very cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So thank you once again to friend of the show, Ben Jenkins, and Warstick. We have Nadine K., Chris, Deborah, R.H. McDonald. We have Christy Collins. We have Snoozy Lee, which is the most amazing Twitter handle ever. We have Lisa House, Darren Combs. We have Brad Connell, Brad Connell, Mary Page, uh, Derek, or at Zero Wix Zero. So, hey, a lot of, lot of you interacting with us on Twitter. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Keep doing that. We'd love interacting with you and listening to what you have to say about the album. Indeed. And as always, we have our people who are with us day in, day out, who are always talking to us through Facebook and Twitter and what have you. Uh, we got Kate McCoy, the Bones of the Operation. We got Keeping Us on Those Rails, Jeremy Riles. We've got My Oh Me, It's Me Oh My. We've got I See You over there, Eileen Corsano. I see you. Yeah, I know what you're up to. We got Andre Ice Cold Lyman. It's freezing over there, I'm sure. We've got our third person in spirit, Callie Durga. We've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We've got the red, red rain, Prosper. We've got the heart of the operation. It's Amy Hart over there. We've got... <laughs> We've got LOL 2.0. <laughs> LOL 2.0. Thank you very much. We've got Eric Andrew Dodson. It's Dodson over here, and I would like to say, go follow Abstract Rhino on Facebook. It's part of his uh, his, his musical journey. Journey. It's it's a page he runs, and it's a musical project he's got going on. So uh-huh. so go follow Abstract Rhino. It's great. Anyway, we got also David Pope. 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 We've got essay <laughs> Franco. What does that mean? What does the essay mean? Does it mean sangria addict Franco? We does it mean yeah? I can see that social anxiety Franco. Does it mean San Francisco suffering albatross? We've got Yvette Wilkins. She's Wilkin on Sunshine over there. Whoa. We've got Brandon and Smith. We got we've nailed it. About five weeks in, we've nailed it. We've got Brian Walter be nicer to me. And there's no right opinion for you here. Go away. No, don't go away. And by the way, No Right Opinion on Twitter had shared with me after listening to our episode 67 show, Particle Kid, like, hey, listen to the song Everything is Bullshit, and that's my new favorite song. It's really good. So everyone listen to No Right Opinion's musical taste, and everyone listen to Particle Kid. Yeah, do that. Thanks, No Right Opinion. And then if you want to get in touch with us on social media and interact with us as said fans have you can visit us facebook.com slash third men on twitter at third men cast on tumblr third men podcast.tumblr.com on wordpress you can uh, see where we post the show it's one of the places we host the show the third men.wordpress.com uh, send us an email at third men podcast at gmail.com you can visit our spreaker page that's our iheart radio landing page for the show that's Spreaker.com, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, and you can search The Third Men. You can also search us on YouTube, where James does some really funny visualizers, and we've started to do one or two 
uh, trailers for upcoming episodes, so you can visit that there. And then you can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can send us a listener question. You can do all sorts of things. You should interact with us. We want to interact with you. We are connected by love. Correct. And we'd also like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men, as well as Susanna Roundtree for her beautiful vocals at the beginning and ending of our program. And Paul, I think that'll do it for this episode. This is going to be a long one. Two hours and 40 minutes so far. Yikes, so, yikes, so, yikes, so. Anyway, uh, as always, I will be looking for a home inside your mind shaft. Oh, dear. <laughs> Look, it's a long way down there. It's a very deep mind shaft. I would like to find a home at a respectful distance from your shaft. I command your respect. Anyway, <laughs> that'll do it. Good night, folks. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. I am full of two things. The first one (laughs) is Life Cereal. Okay, yeah, Mikey likes it. The second one is Rum. Mmm, that's what I got in here. James, I think we're going to be podcasting it to death tonight. Sure. Hamagio <laughs> <laughs> or Fromagio? It's it, that is cheese in some language. Um, it's. <laughs> No, that's not my New York voice. My New York voice is something like this, huh? Get out of the way. You want some cauliflower? I'll get you some cauliflower. This is my new this is my new character, Johnny Liberty. Alright? You don't go anywhere. Johnny Liberty! <laughs> you don't go anywhere near, near me. me. Me or my city or my son again, alright? You hear me? And my son. I know it's a little pigeon that I adopted. His name is Philip. I'm scared of pigeons. Give me this. I love Johnny Liberty so he much. He flaps around like crazy. I f- love the guy, all right? I, this is like rum. So, so Johnny Liberty's son that he dwells on every time we talk to him, he the son has to not exist in the end. Like We have to reveal at some point he has no son. He's about five years old, or six, or seven, or eight. I don't really care. I don't pay attention. As long as he gets good grades and does what his mother says, okay? I love Johnny Liberty. I love him. I love him like my own son.
you talk to me about love for your son, all right? I've got love for my son up the f***ing wazoo, okay? Hey, watch your language. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, forget about it, hey? Love you, too. <laughs> no, but for real, I love you with all my heart and soul. <laughs> but go f*** yourself. Um, start a do we corporation? But be, before we get to all that, connected by dubs. <laughs> Why walk an island of ducks? Is what I want to know. <laughs> is it wait? Conspiracy theory. Why walk a dog an Isle of Dogs? Coming out around the same time. Well, okay, I was wondering where you were. Like, you just said two things. Like conspiracy theory. It's both. It's not. It's not anything. Things. Paul, this two isn't dogs. anything. <laughs> Dvorak. 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 Interesting to note is that in Esmeralda Steals the Show, Jack White does literally everything. He produces it, he engineers it, he's also the vocals, the acoustic, and the organ. Paul, you'll hear this later. Maybe you can add this in. I'm walking downtown to the store. We'll see. We'll see if you actually add that in. Alright, I'm back. song called what's the song the last one the get off my lawn song uh entitlement i had a mouthful of (laughs) mimosa and this is not a good mimosa this is this is like weak old white wine with some plain seltzer and Orange juice with extra calcium. Jeez, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) I actually have been walking around the office all day going, I'm having a Monday, guys. (laughs) Someone has got a case of Mondays. Um, Here's what I had to do here, James. I have no other mixer. So what I did was I poured rum into a glass. Yeah. And then I poured water into that glass. Right. And then I squirted some Neo into it. Ah! <laughs> like, I, po- like I was late Kool-Aid. for yoga. Called it a poor man's purple drink. Oh, God. Tastes great.
<laughs> oh dear, I've cracked myself up. Um, I didn't mean it like that. Please, it's hard to read this damn liner notes printing in blue ink. Son of a bitch. When the serving oh, puffing him. himself up, to, uh, fend off a puma. <laughs> he had to make himself look bigger. <laughs> Paul, have you ever stopped to really admire a kitten with a mouse in its mouth? <laughs> it's funny. Well. well We'll talk about it more when we get there, but <clears throat> uh, Susanna, when we listened to this album, um, paused and stopped on the same line, stopped what she was doing, and, and turned to the cats and uh, and made a similar remark. They have, by the way, they have they have caught and murdered uh, mice. Oh, fantastic! Not here, but. Uh, you know, We're all copying God. <laughs> Although she had the same thing uh, that I had. She was like, is it coffee and God or copy and God? <laughs> Cats are fighting. Just hanging out there on the side of the road. It's, it belongs to a farm. This one buffalo that's across the street from a supermarket... <laughs> May I have no, another it's... cup of tea? <laughs> you are get... totally absurd. Okay, thank you. Whew. It's a long one. Yep.